iHeart. Discover music, radio, and podcasts you'll love. Here we are. Sterling stepping in on Tuesday night for Gary Jeff. Hope you're doing all right. Lots of ground to cover. We'll talk to Ben Baby from ESPN about a bit of COVID issues with our Who Day Cincinnati Bengals. Looking to handle business with Cleveland come Sunday afternoon with that AFC North title on their belt. Making a trip up 71. We'll see exactly what that means for their game plan. Jolie Balke is going to join us from the Balke Group. We'll talk on the, the mass resignation that continues. Uh, it had thought that it might be slowing down with the extended unemployment benefits and some of those other things sort of going away, but apparently that's not the case. People are still quitting in droves looking to better their situation and get more comfortable with how they're living in general. Also, the executive director of the Cincinnati Cancer Advisor is going to join us uh, after uh, 1035, and uh, we'll talk on what they do and uh, how you should approach a situation if, in fact, you find yourself or someone you love and you care about uh, is, in fact, diagnosed with a cancer of one type or another. But to start, something that's been all over the news, the last, well, for a couple of years now, frankly, and in the last couple of days, uh, we're seeing that this wave continues now through Christmas time and, and then the new year with increased uh, cases uh, of uh, testing positive as well as hospitalizations dealing with COVID-19. A guy we've leaned on quite a bit in this because he's a, a, a guy who knows from infectious diseases. Uh, he handles such at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, he is Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum. Uh, welcome back to 700 WLW with Sterling. How are you, sir? I'm okay, Sterling. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you making time. Uh, it seems like we've talked about this so much, but I mean, right now we are in the midst of, uh, I guess, that wave that we talked about to be expected after the holidays. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very uh, deeply in it. How bad is it uh, on your end and what you're seeing at UC? It's very bad. Very bad. Uh, our hospitals all throughout the city and the state, for that matter, are stressed. We don't have enough staff. We don't have enough beds. We have a lot of sick patients, and the COVID numbers are rising. It's uh, out of control. Uh, that's not a, a good sign, and I can hear it actually in your voice, unless it's just the fact that you're happy to talk to me. I don't know which. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Well, I am always happy to talk to you and happy to talk to your viewers, but I'm uh, I'm struggling here trying to support all my colleagues, and I'm actually uh, seeing patients every day in the hospital, so I have a first-hand view, a bird's-eye view, and it's not pretty, it's not good, and uh, it it really calls for all of our uh, all of our help from the community. Everybody's got to pull together. Um, one of the things that's been discussed. And I've heard it echoed today. I've had people continue to ask me. And the first thing they say, well, all this testing, of course, we're going to see more positive results. They say, why test? I ask you, I think I have a good idea, because if you're even testing positive and you're asymptomatic and you don't realize it, you can be out there spreading the COVID-19 regardless of the variant. Is that an accurate assessment? Give me your take and what you do. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. That's right on the button, Sterling. I mean, the biggest problem we have right now are people spreading it throughout the community. And so folks who don't have any symptoms, who don't realize they're infected, 
are just going to wind up spreading it uh, to their friends and neighbors, and then it just keeps going. And then, of course, some people get sick and wind up in our hospitals. Um, with these hospitalizations up, are you seeing a more serious type of, of situation with the patients, or is this pretty much what we've been seeing? It just happens to be larger numbers because of the, the spread being so much greater now. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing lots of really, really sick people. Um, so I think the public has gotten some notion, and some of this is probably the fault of, of some of the uh, scientists and physicians who are giving the idea that Omicron is not as dangerous. Uh, we have our intensive care units full. Go on, Dr. Fickenbaum. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, I just think that the, the Omicron is, is just not as as uh, innocuous as people are making it out to be, and uh, people are plenty sick. We got lots of people in intensive care units on respirators uh, needing advanced support, so it's really no joke. Uh, I have a, a cousin who works in the medical field, who works in a heart unit, and has found herself with it. I've had multiple relatives. I'm just looking at text as I was coming into the studio, and I see a cluster of friends. Their kids apparently uh, may have brought it home from New Year's Eve already, and now they've got multiple households that are dealing with positive tests. Uh, in the midst of all this, there's the talk of distance learning. A lot of people very irate about this. Uh, the question saying, hey, if you're vaccinated, what does it matter about getting tested or whatever else? It's sort of echoing what we touched on earlier, but coming from you means a little bit more than me. That's why you're the expert, Dr. Fickenbaum. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that uh, people are very frustrated, and rightfully so. This has been going on too long, and, and it's hard to understand. But it's very clear. Look, if you get vaccinated, that's going to protect you, and you don't wind up seeing me in the hospital. Uh, but it's not going to stop you from getting infected necessarily. And But it is going to protect you from getting really, really sick and having to be in the hospital and receive care there. So the vaccine does work for what it's meant to do. So, But the problem is, of course, is, is that people are thinking that if I got the vaccine, I can do whatever I want. And that's not going to get us out of this pandemic. We still have to mask up. We still have to social distance. And if we don't uh, stop going out over the next couple of weeks, we're going to completely overwhelm our health care systems. And that means that people won't get the kind of care that they need for the car accidents, the heart problems, the cancer problems, because we're stretched thin. I can hear the frustration and the, uh, the this is almost sounding worn down. Uh, in, in your your voice, and I hear it from a lot of people and friends that I know that are in, in the business that you're in in one fashion or another, caregiving. Um, the talk of delaying spring semester at NKU, UC coming back in person delayed, and then maybe some relo uh, remote learning depending. Some school districts for elementary, high school, you know, public schools, et cetera, uh, have plans in place and are trying right now to sort of navigate this and, and are, are doing their best not to get back to the distance or virtual learning scenario in the midst of this wave and what you're seeing and uh, this idea that some people has uh, that you just mentioned, thinking that it's over and it's not anything you need to worry about now. Do these plans of delayed going back to school or work and doing it virtually look into maybe helping the situation that you're dealing with and the overcrowding and oh, yeah. such an influx? Yeah, yeah, because, 
if people get together with the speed in which the Omicron variant passes from person to person, we're only see more and more cases. And, you know, if we see thousands and thousands of people sick, there's more of them who are going to come to the hospital. And so delaying a couple of weeks, the in-person things, as much as it sounds bad, uh, for just a few weeks might give us the breathing room that we need to be able to provide the care to the people that are here now and be able to uh, catch up a little bit. Right now with the short staffing, with staff being sick, uh, with not enough hospital beds, it's really putting a lot of pressure on our health care systems. So if, if schools can delay a little bit and do a little bit of distance learning, I think our kids are going to survive that. It, it'll be a little bit disappointing in some ways, but I think it's going to make a huge difference for our healthcare system. And so I, I think that's what we really should be doing for the next few weeks. I think people should be avoiding going out very much. I think everybody should be wearing a mask, washing their hands. We can't be going to the restaurants, concerts, doing everything we want to do over the next couple of weeks, or, it, you know, it's going to be really, really bad for all of the uh, folks who are sick with COVID. Talking to Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum from University of Cincinnati, infectious disease specialist, UC Health, Sterling on the big one. How close are you or is the system of health care in our region to the breaking point with this? Oh, I think we're right there. I think we're right there because, you know, we have staff that are sick, staff caring for sick children, family members, so we don't have enough uh, staff in all of the situations that we need. We don't have enough beds. We don't have enough, uh, you know, of the medications that we need to try and treat people. There are shortages of that. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're just trying to hang on the best we can. Uh, and I, it's hard for the public to see that because they don't get a bird's eye view. Uh, but that's really the situation we're in. It's really tough. We've talked about this so many times, um, and we tried to get it in every possible angle we can get. It is the situation has evolved over time, but it seems like it hasn't actually changed in some ways all that much. Uh, I know therapeutics have improved. Your ability to deal with the issues of uh, uh, limited uh, access to maybe ventilators and those things in the very early stages of this has been overcome. But you're still talking about shortages and, and being stressed to this point. Um, doing all these uh, mitigation things, the masking, the, the basic hygiene issues, washing hands, trying to avoid those groups and so forth, and maybe distance learning and working from home and, and whatnot. Uh, anything else that you can lend to this? I, I don't want to feel like it's a broken record, but clearly we're in the middle of this nastiness, and the broken record is the life that we're all living and people are still dying. Yeah, I mean, people need to get vaccinated because this we're not done with this. And so... We really need people who've never been vaccinated to step up and get vaccinated because that's what we need for the rest of the community. If they, you know, value their health care providers, if they value their nurses, their respiratory therapists, pharmacists, physicians, and all of the people who provide support services in our community, these are our friends, neighbors. If you value these people and you want them to make it through this by providing care to the sickest of the sick, then do your part, get vaccinated, because that's going to protect you from having to come see us because, you know, 90% of the people I'm taking care of in the hospital here are unvaccinated. 
And so that's what we're seeing with this uh, Omicron wave. It's the unvaccinated. And so it's, it's, it's harmful. So I think people need to do that as well as all of the other mitigation measures um, so that we can try and protect ourselves. That's what we really need to do, Sterling. Uh, I appreciate your time. I, I can hear the, the weight of this and the fatigue in your voice and frustration. I, I think we're all dealing with it, but you're on the front line of it. And I, I wish you and those that you work with the, the best through this, and hopefully people are getting this message. Uh, I know a lot of people don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it either, but, I mean, facts are facts, and, and the situation is what it is, and that's why we look to you as an infectious disease specialist right. and expert at UC Health. And I also want to I want to leave your uh on a positive note, saying "Go Bengals," and uh, I'm glad we won it. <laughs> yes, and uh, we're still rooting for them. And I hope your listeners are safe out there. And please uh, stay safe and get vaccinated. And you can hear it in my voice because I'm still in the hospital tonight, taking care of people. So be safe, Sterling, and I'll talk with you soon. Take care of yourself, Dr. Carl Fignanbaum, infectious diseases specialist, University of Cincinnati. I appreciate your time. So the beeps in the background and the dings were people uh, on, on uh, monitors and, and such, it would appear. So uh, thank you uh, him uh, for making time and the insight, and uh, I guess we all have to do our part. Uh, your chance to get interactive if you want to sound off, 513-749-7000, the big one, pound 700 AT&T. I'm also on Twitter at Sterling Radio. After the 930 report, we'll talk to Ben Baby about those Who Day Bengals. He's from ESPN. Uh, we'll hear about some COVID issues that they're having right now with protocols. Uh, Balky Group's Julie Balky on the mass exodus and mass resignation that uh, we are in the middle of, too, in the uh, a lot of things going on right now affecting the economy. This is one of those, your personal economy and the bigger one. Also, Executive Director of Cincinnati Cancer Advisor Steve Abbott after 1030. Lots of ground to cover, lots to do on a fine Tuesday. And for Gary Jeff Walker, I'm Sterling. And, of course, this is News Radio 700 WLW. It's mandatory McConnell. Get the Rock'em Sock'em Morning Blitz. Your sleepy brain needs. Mike McConnell delivers it. The latest news from Brian Cole. The fighting forecast from J.K. Jennifer Ketchmark. Check it out. Roadmaster Chuck Ingram has the traffic you need. Woo! And Seth Dennison lays down the sports. Drink that coffee. Chuff that toast. And sniffing sore throat, stuffy head, aching fever. Best sleep with a cold. Medicine. Use this directed. Find it in the cold and flu aisle at a Walmart near you. I will say this. Uh, they've made progress in, in these new uh, Mac Daddy star trek type studio spaces uh, where there was no climate control and you come in here and it was like somebody had a fire uh, cooking in the middle of the room and you're like you know it's summer uh maybe we could get some ac it's more comfortable now i don't know if it's uh, normal people everyday full-time people whether it was because rocky's back or because mike or because lance was in the building they were like well correct it because sterling if he passes out from heat exhaustion and gets dehydrated screw him who cares uh i don't know but right now i feel fine so not that you ask but uh, th this is just my uh sharing the, the progression and development of where we are. Uh, a lot of uh, things to get to. It was good talking to Dr. Fichtenbaum from UC Health earlier. Uh, not necessarily the best of news for our current situation in this, um, I, this I guess you call it next wave or current wave of uh, COVID in one fashion or another, regardless of the variant that we're dealing with, with increased hospitalizations. He made it sound quite grave with just the, the sheer caseload that they're dealing with and the, the staffing issues that they have. So hopefully more people will get vaccinated uh, and we can get around this sooner than later. Um, whether we're stuck with it in one fashion or another with vaccines annually or, or whatever it is, that's one thing. But right now it's it's crisis mode. Um, I had a, a neighbor for a couple doors down um, who's not here anymore now. 
and uh, another woman who used to live nearby who's uh, moved, and then I get word from her relatives who are now in that house they bought uh, from her. Uh, she passed away just a, a Christmas day, um, so it's you know it's no joke, and, and and I it's it's frustrating. I'm so sick and tired of the mask. I'm so sick and tired of all of the the issues dealing with this as we try to survive it. Um, and I've had my shots. I've been outspoken about it, and everybody has to make a choice on their own for this. But I, I mean, it's it's not apparently getting any better without everyone doing their part. So do what you need to do or what you can do. Uh, the Bengals did what they needed to do to get the – see how I tied that together? Yeah, I'm a professional. Uh, the Cincinnati football Bengals did it on Sunday against the Chiefs and got themselves that AFC North title. They'll head to Cleveland on Sunday. They're having some COVID issues of their own. Uh, but we will talk about the whole aspect of what they're going to be looking to do and moving ahead into the postseason. Ben Baby from ESPN is going to join us. He covers the, the Bengals for them, also boxing stuff. Uh, which I had a great conversation with him, I guess it was about a week ago, uh, talking uh, about uh, me falling down the rabbit hole of old fight stuff like on YouTube and seeing all the Iron Mike Tyson fights, uh, knockouts from his career. And some It was a, a highlight reel. It was like an hour long, and, and I, I didn't mean to look at it. It, it popped up, and, and I started watching it, and I couldn't turn the thing off. It, it just uh, amazing. So anyway, if you get a chance to podcast for that, it was an interesting conversation. We'll have more with him on the other side of your 930 report. We'll get an update on everything going on from some distance learning for schools, schools not going back as planned, uh, delaying either coming back or doing it virtually. There's a lot of layers to this and everything else that's going on, including some weather that we could be dealing with in the next couple of days. We've been basically, if we had snow this season, I don't think maybe like a, I've said snow. I don't know. Maybe I've seen a dusting of snow, but we may actually get some snow. And I know it's a four letter word and there are people right now going snow. Yeah, well, I've got friends who uh, push it out of the way for business. Hopefully they'll be able to cash in and get some money out of that deal. We'll see. News time straight away. Ben Baby from ESPN. The great resignation conversation on that with Julie Balke later. Steve Abbott also from the Cincinnati Cancer Advisors. And a whole lot more Sterling in for Gary Jeff. I'm glad you're here on a Tuesday night. 700 WLW. News, traffic, and weather. News Radio 700 WLW. Cincinnati. Omicron now accounts for almost all COVID cases nationally. With the 930 Report, I'm Sean Gallagher. Breaking now. Omicron is now estimated to make up 95% of new cases in the U.S. The president telling unvaccinated Americans they have reason to be alarmed. Some will die, needlessly die. Unvaccinated are taking up hospital beds and crowding emergency rooms and intensive care units. And the president announcing that he was doubling the purchase of Pfizer's COVID-19 antiviral pill from 10 million to 20 million treatments. But the majority of those treatments won't arrive until well after the latest models suggest Omicron begins to resolve in March. ABC News' chief national correspondent, Matt Gutman. Ohio reporting more than 20,000 new COVID cases today. Kentucky with a daily record of new cases, over 6,900. Now the latest traffic and weather together, and things looking better out there. They have cleared that truck accident, the the accident on the ramp with the overturned truck on 75 eastbound 122 exit, so that's back open. Also, previous accidents have been cleared elsewhere, North Bend Road, west of Oakwood Avenue. Now the latest forecast from the Train Heating and Cooling Weather Center on News Radio 700 WLW. 
mostly cloudy through our overnight. A low of 37 for the morning. The rest of our Wednesday, partly cloudy, a high of 42. At night, it's cloudy and we're down to 18. A look ahead, an inch or two of snow, likely starting Thursday afternoon. From your severe weather station, I'm 9 First Warning, Chief Meteorologist Steve Raleigh. News Radio 700 WLW. And radar is currently showing a clear sky. I've seen some periodic clouds out there, but still clear right now. Our current temperature is 40 degrees. I aftab pure of all. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. Cincinnati has a new mayor as Aftab Pierval took the oath of office today at Washington Park. Originally set to be held inside at Music Hall, it was moved outside to the park and over the Rhine to reduce the spread of COVID. The newly elected members of city council also being sworn in. Jan Michelle Lemon Kearney, the top vote getter in the November election, is the council member who will serve as vice mayor. Ohio U.S. Senator Rob Portman announcing today that he's tested positive for COVID before he was set to make his way back to Washington. Portman said he took an at-home test on Monday night, finding out he had a breakthrough case. So far, the Republican lawmaker says he's asymptomatic and he'll be isolating at home over the next five days where he'll be working. A temporary return to indoor mask wearing for one local school. Middletown City Schools says it's taking advice from the health department and is temporarily requiring all students, staff, and visitors to wear masks or approved face coverings indoors. The requirement for staff starts Wednesday. For students, it's the first day back on Thursday. The requirement is scheduled to run through January 26th. It applies to indoors in class and also on the school bus. I'm Jack Crumley, News Radio 700 WLW. College basketball tonight, number 16 Kentucky falling at number 21 LSU, 65 to 60. Our next update is at 10 o'clock. I'm Sean Galviger, News Radio 700, WLW. 700 WLW Cincinnati. Available everywhere. Takes just seconds. Then watch us anytime, anywhere. Forbes calls Newsmax a news powerhouse. Find out why. Start watching today. Here we are. Fine Tuesday night, Sterling. Glad you're along. Sterling for Gary Jeff Walker, Mr. Snyman producing the show. ESPN's Ben Baby on the line. He covers the Bengals, talks boxing. And uh, first of all, Happy New Year. I hope you're doing all right. And uh, secondly, I guess, uh, now we got an AFC North title, the PBS, and uh, these guys looking forward to the postseason. And then, of course, uh, we get news where they've been pretty lightly affected by COVID to this point. That's not the case this week. Yeah, there's a lot going on over at Paul Brown Stadium, uh, a lot of good. You know, like you said, clinching that division. And then today, you know, the news that many players replaced uh, key players on the COVID-19 list, you know, we'll see how that goes and, and, you know, how quickly they'll be able to clear off that list with the, with the playoffs now approaching. Um, who's affected and who's not by the COVID issue? Cause obviously that is some uh, concern, but then uh, I also realize that they're playing the Browns and with the title in hand, maybe it's an opportunity to rest some people anyway. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting, you know, scenario and situation, you know, some of the guys on that list today off the top of my head, I know Von Bell safety, starting safety, uh, starting defensive end Trey Hendrickson, who's been one of the best defensive players. And then, uh, you know, starting center Trey Hopkins as well uh, is another guy who, who went on that list. And so this is uh, one of the bigger and more significant outbreaks that they've had since the start of the pandemic. So even dating back to last season as well. And so, you know, I, I have to imagine, you know, the, you know, the, with the weight, the NFL protocols have been shortened. I think there's still – I have to double – my, my math isn't too good. Counting to five is kind of difficult for me sometimes. So <laughs> I don't know if they would be available Sunday. I think that there's a – I mean, we'll ask Zach Taylor tomorrow. We'll get, we'll get a little more details on the situation. But like you said, 
wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they were to rest some players, especially now that, you know, you got to remember this is the first season with 17 games, so it's one extra regular season game that these players are playing. So, you know, if any chance you can get to, uh, to rest guys probably isn't the worst thing. No, definitely not. For me, ESPN, he's Ben Baby. I'm Sterling on the big one. Uh, I, I want to shift to something else just for a minute because – it was insane and it was crazy and I did not touch base with you about it. So if, if you're not comfortable, just tell me to, you know, uh, you know, take a flying one. Uh, Antonio Brown, uh, that, that whole situation, I've never seen anything quite like it, at least in, in professional sport. I, I've seen it in real life with people I've worked with who have uh, had some type of meltdown, rightly or wrongly, in, uh, acting a little bit wild and then just exiting stage left. What do you know about that situation now? Is, I mean, is he okay, or, or is it was just show business, for want of a better way to describe it, or him acting out and showing everybody his backside? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's – I'm, I'm so far removed from the situation, I would not be the, the foremost authority on the subject. But I, I do know that, you know, it, it's, it's a very, you know, it, it's a very, you know, concerning, I think, for a lot of people just wondering – you know, what's going on. It's not, it's very rare that this occurs. My buddy, Brendan Meyer actually did a story on Vontae Davis, mm-hmm. who, who, uh, you know, became famous for, you know, leaving in, in the middle of a game. Right. Uh, he just walked off and said he was done, but you know, I think it was a, under those circumstances, he ended up, it's a great story. It's over on ESPN.com. Yeah. You can Google it, Vontae Davis, uh, you know, ESPN, you'll find it. And, and he kind of explained the reasons why, and it was, he, he knew, you know, sometimes you just know. And, you know, you see this often in, in boxing. You know, I know we always find a way to cross-reference boxing in these segments. But yes, we do. sometimes, you know, a, a guy will just find, a, you know, just maybe in the middle of a round or, or somebody will go, you know what, I think it's done. And then that's it. And, you know, sometimes if you're a competitor, especially in a, in a high-risk sport like that, you know, there's a lot of things where if you're not ready to go all the way, you know, it, it becomes a very dangerous game. And, you know, we don't know the circumstances. I haven't seen anything reported as to what's going on with Antonio Brown. I mean, how serious – things are, but I think that, you know, Tom Brady summed it up and, and, you know, and said that, you know, I think that there was a level of concern. You can tell that he said he just wanted people to, you know, care about him and, and go from there. So hopefully we'll get more details as to what actually is going on because I think everybody would like to know, uh, you know, what's happening. And obviously he's a guy that the Bengals fans know well because he played for the Steelers for a long time and obviously was involved in that 2015 playoff game right. uh, where he was hit by Vontez Perfect. So. A lot of weirdness there. Uh, I, I didn't mean to completely go off this beaten path talking Bengals, but it was just one of those things that's been eating at me, and, and it's just an odd scenario. So uh, talking to Ben Baby from ESPN about the Bengals, a lot of people coming out of the woodwork, uh, huge accolades for Joe Burrow. And from Brett Favre, Brett Favre to, I mean, pick a notable, uh, you know, retired NFLer or, uh, you know, a talking head, what have you. Uh, everyone's saying how wonderful and how just insanely good he is. And maybe we've seen that for a while, but now just especially with getting that AFC North title and seeing what they did with the Chiefs. What is it that now all of a sudden, I guess, the nation's seeing? We've known a lot of this already, though, yeah? Yeah, I think we have, but for them to go out and do what they did against Kansas City is very notable. I mean, Joe said it after the game, and, you know, there was a lot of – you've got to remember, let's look at the context of what happened. A week earlier, the Bengals rolled Burrow through a franchise record 525 yards, Huge. but it was against a, a very decimated Ravens team that was dealing with a lot of COVID-19 cases and injured players. And a lot of people said, yeah, well, you know, he did all of this, but it was against the Ravens. Well, fast forward one week later – Kansas City has one of the better defenses in the NFL. They have been giving teams problems, and they've really revamped things and were a bad matchup in a lot of ways for this Bengals offense. And I, I thought that Kansas City was going to be dominant defensively, to be quite honest, because I was a little hesitant 
to fully buy into what Cincinnati was doing offensively after that Baltimore performance. But make no mistake about it, what, what Burrow was able to do, what that Bengals offense was able to do, go to outscore Kansas City is no small feat, and to be able to to do well against that defense specifically, those are all very big things. And I think that's something that shows that, you know, we've had big questions about this offense all year. Can they consistently score points and score points when they need to? They overwhelmingly answered that, you know, that question on uh, Sunday against Kansas City. And I think that's, if you're a Bengals fan, the two things out of that game, the, the, the strong defensive play against in pass coverage and then the ability to sustain drives and score points and, and really, you know, claw back and, and really, you know, have that consistency on offense, those two things have to make Bengals fans feel really good and really the best they felt about this team all season. I think that makes sense. He's Ben Baby from ESPN. He covers the Bengals, Sterling 700 WLW. Um, this plan, uh, now three years in with Zach, uh, and uh, those behind the scenes with the Bengals, including uh, Blackburn and the front office and everything else, this plan coming together and seeing how young this team is, how talented they are. I mean, there are a handful of veterans that have been here. Uh, they went out and spent a whole bunch of money on some free agency and so forth. But, I mean, this looks like a team that's built to last, in, in regardless of what happens this playoff season ahead after Cleveland. But that's something that we haven't seen come together like this in a long time. And it's bewildering, especially after a catastrophic knee injury that we've seen Joe Burrow come back from and seemingly as good or better than he was before. Yeah, you know, I think when you look at it, a lot of people may be, you know, there are some historic, there, there's some historic numbers about you know, the fact that all the the core guys on this offense, you know, in, in Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Burrow, all you know under I believe 25 or 26. Uh, I'd have to go back and check. Mixon maybe actually be a little bit older, but still, um, you know, very all you know you've got you know those three guys in Mixon and excuse me Higgins, Chase, and Burrow all on their rookie contracts, all you know less than two years in the league, and and Taylor also you know still I believe what 37 or 38. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it seems like it's a very promising young core, and and this is a you know a team that you know if they do things the right way and things continue to trend in this direction, like you said, I think that the, the the pieces are there to be viable for a very long time. Now, as we all know, in the NFL, it is very very difficult to sustain winning teams. I, I mean, the fact that the Bengals were able to go from the worst in the NFL two years ago to winning the AFC North and being legitimate AFC contenders shows you. How, how even things are and how the NFL is structured for teams to go from worst to first uh, on a regular basis. It's what makes the league very interesting and gives it that any, Sunday, any given Sunday feel. So I, I think if you're the Bengals, the challenge is going to be, yes, you've had a good year, but what are the things that made us successful in 2021 and how do we continue to implement that because teams are going to be gunning for them now? Uh, as we look at this and where this Bengals team is now and moving ahead, what do you see them doing? I mean, you got to get through Cleveland. I mean, that's always a nasty scenario. And then in the, the playoff deal, uh, as this team is put together and what they already showed Kansas City, they could very well face Kansas City again uh, in just you know a couple weeks' time. In that type of scenario, what do we know about how they put a game plan together? Because they've shown a lot of looks to each other at this point, and the Bengals obviously came back and made it happen in dramatic fashion. Uh, to, to wrap stuff up to get that AFC North title last Sunday. Yeah, that's going to be a really, really interesting situation when that occurs. You know, I asked Zach Taylor that last Friday. Just said, I, I said, hey, you know, I know that the probabilities are, are quite slim, and it's a little presumptuous to to kind of ask. But you know, do you hold anything back, knowing that you the possibility exists that you could face them a second time? And he said, no, we got to go win 
this game, and sure enough, they, they did everything they could to win that game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, it's not going to be new. I mean, this isn't like because, you know, the, the you know playing a team twice in a year, you do that with your divisional opponents. Right. You know, the Bengals are used to being able to have to tweak game plans, and when a team knows what you're going to be able to do, uh, you got to still got to be able to go out and do it and throw some tweaks and, and really keep opponents on their toes. So it's going to be no different for them uh, going into this Kansas City game if they have to play them again in a few weeks. And I think the Bengals will be more than happy to have that problem because that will mean that the Bengals will have their first playoff win since 1991, and Cincinnati could be at that point two games away from winning the Super Bowl. So uh, it's a really interesting you know question and, and a really interesting scenario, but I think because of how you know, things are structured, I, I think the Bengals – would be in a good place to kind of handle that if it happens. One of the things we've talked about, Ben Baby, over and over again, he covers the Bengals for ESPN, by the way, is the sheer depth of this offense and keeping everyone happy and utilizing all those tools. And it is a rare situation, and it is one of those things, I don't know if it's a dynastic scenario with these other teams, but where you can have a group of receivers in that core, you can have somebody like Mixon from the backfield and others, where you can go out and work and have different types of uh, you know game plan in place, open opportunities, Opportunities and otherwise, as Burrow sort of service, you know, looks downfield to see what's available. In, in this type of scenario, keeping everyone happy, engaged, and wanting to be a part of it uh, is the easiest way to keep people in that scenario is by winning because you, you've seen it when they've lost and you can't keep certain people happy. Hell happens. This seems to be the flip side to that, which is a blast to watch. You just hope that they can keep it that way. Yeah, you know, it's actually one of the questions that I had at the beginning of the season. And there was all this talk about, oh, we want 3,000-yard receivers. Uh, we want Joe Mixon to have a big year. And, and there's only, you know, we want C.J. Uzama to have, you know, a very, you know, be very productive. And But there's only one football. You only get so many snaps. And, and there was some real question marks about, you know, what, you know, how that was all going to play out. And, and, you know, Tyler Boyd will have a crack. I mean, it's going to be – it'll be a stretch. He'll need a good amount of yards on Sunday. But he could theoretically hit that 1,000-yard mark and really seem something that was, you know, unfathomable even a few weeks ago, uh, a very distinct and real possibility. And and I think, you know, winning does solve everything. And it, and it kind of – and especially for guys like Boyd, like Mixon, who were the last guys to leave the locker room, you know, they've been – and, you know, been on some bad teams these last few years, and, and I think they're happy to be part of a winning team and playing games that matter, and the recognition that comes from that as well is better than, you know, accumulating stats on a bad bad team where you're getting overlooked. I mean, the Mixons had multiple thousand-yard seasons earlier in his career, but this is his first Pro Bowl appearance, and I think that, you know, goes to show that when you do – what the other success comes when you're winning as well. And so – you know, we'll see how this continues to play out. But so far, the Bengals have done a really masterful job of utilizing all those resources and not just keeping people happy, but making guys uh, part of the game plan. And I think the players have done a good job of also being unselfish and doing whatever it takes for this team to get victories. Anything else before I let you go? Whatever it is that you have to share, we haven't asked what the people should look for next to ESPN from you, Ben, baby. I'll take this moment. I got a. I just. I just got. Got in from Chicago. You know, a couple hours ago, we were there to celebrate uh, the life of our colleague Jeff Dickerson, right. uh, who died from cancer uh, last thing. week. And it was. It was. Yeah. Jeff was just a phenomenal guy, and I would just love uh, listeners to know that. And, and if you want to donate to, uh, we lost another colleague in 2020, Vaughn McClure, and they renamed Vaughn's Foundation the Vaughn McClure Jeff Dickerson Foundation. Please go donate. It's a. It's a great cause, does a, a lot of good for and, and Jeff actually raised money and distributed his scholarships uh, while he was battling this disease, and, uh, you know, and, you know, it was a big part of it. And I'll say, uh, you know, his son, uh, 11-year-old son Parker, 
Um, you know, I, I, Adam Schefter and a lot of our colleagues and a lot of people around the country uh, really rallied around Parker after his dad died, his mom died two years earlier uh, from cancer as well. And uh, the resolve that I saw from him today, I just I was thinking on what was I was driving home. I want to be like Parker Dickerson when I grow up because the the amount of strength and resolve he's shown in the midst of all of this is just unfathomable for an 11 year old. But uh, if you're the praying type, please keep that family in your prayers. And, and I just wanted to say that you know Jeff was phenomenal, and we we're all going to miss him, uh, not just at ESPN, but so many of us uh, who who knew him and and really cherished uh, what he brought to uh, brought, brought to everybody. Well stated. You're a good man. Ben Baby from ESPN. He covers the Bengals, talks boxing as well. Thanks for making time. As always, it's good to uh, catch up with you, man. Enjoy the rest of the week, and and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Sterling. Take care, Ben Baby uh, from ESPN. Quick break. Come back. More Sterling. I'm not quite done yet. Later, uh, the great resignation continuing. We'll talk to Julie Balke from the Balke Group, Steve Abbott, Executive Director of the Cincinnati Cancer Advisors, and a whole lot more coming back for Gary Jeff. I'm Sterling. This News Radio 700 WLW. Hi, I'm Rocky Boyman. Each afternoon, I get to co-host the Eddie and Rocky Show with my friend, Eddie Fingers. It's a great show. I mean, my wife told me it was, which is why I really want you to hear it, even when you can't. Here's the deal. If you missed part of the Eddie and Rocky Show, just catch the... 9 first warning forecast on the big one. I missed this earlier, so I'll tell you. Tonight, some clouds, wind 36. Wednesday, clouds breezy 43. And Thursday, talk of snow. You'll get more of that in the 10 o'clock report. I know it's a four-letter word. Snow. It's coming. Not like the snow that I had friends stuck in not long ago uh, in the D.C. area. They got a bunch of, and then some others in Virginia, like some massive, crazy, insane backup on the interstate, where for hours people were running out of gas as they were trying to stay warm in their vehicle, which is crazy, which then immediately takes me back to my mom always saying, now make sure you have a bad weather kit in the back of your car. I don't know if she really sounds like that or not. And, and she was, and she made one for me. Like I remember a kid, was, I was a young man leaving like moving out she's like i want you to have this just in case i'm like okay and it was like a blanket and extra water and protein bars and all this other stuff. you're going to be okay if anything happens so i don't know if anybody on in the big shutdown and the bad weather deal had it but probably a good idea to have it uh, in that scenario i don't think we're getting anything quite that severe but maybe a couple inches we'll get about it in about six and a half minutes you'll you'll find out more in the 10 o'clock report um a little bit later also here's something someone sent me and i appreciate it this is from elizabeth it's from your tango and i don't know how i should take this if this is because i sound emotionally immature as an adult or not but the headline is to 10 surefire ways to spot an emotionally immature adult so I, I don't know if I'm, I'm given telltale signs of that immaturity or if, the, if she just thought it was, here's a good bit, you can talk about some stuff. Uh, but, but this is something. says he acts like a child, a teenager, or a person who is much younger than he is. I don't know about that. I don't know. I, I've been told that I, I seem younger than I am. Uh, he asks, acts as if women should serve him. I do not do that. Can't maintain long-term, stable, romantic relationships. That's not quite accurate. Not quite. I mean, I, I, I listen, I, I lived, as my mom would say, in sin longer than one of my friends had two marriages that came and went during that window of time. So, I, I you know, I guess you got to pick your spots in that scenario. Has few or uh, of any close friends. I've got friends. But if you don't, then this could be you. Uh, commitment phobic in nearly all areas of life, despite uh, having a needy attachment style. Says it can take six months to commit to buying a sofa. I'm not like that. I don't do a lot of shopping. I figure out, I mean, it's, I find out what I want, then I go get what the hell I want, and I get out of the store in an ideal situation. I, I just order it and have them deliver it. 
That's where I'm at right now. I don't think that's commitment phobic. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that's an expectation of it. I'm doing what I got to do is what I'm trying to say. Often passive aggressive, meaning that people have a tendency to engage in an indirect expression of hostility through acts such as subtle insults, sullen behavior. My dog does this stubbornness or a deliberate failure to accomplish required tasks. I don't know what dog. I mean, the dog has no real required task. Uh, Go out when he needs to go out. And uh, don't make messes. I mean, that, that is the extent. Don't tear stuff up. He's doing pretty well with that. I don't think he counts. Uh, it says, a narcissist, is he a narcissist or exhibit a childish uh, selfishness? If something is even mildly inconvenient, he'll resist doing it. That's the dog. I don't know about me. Elizabeth, what are you trying to say about me now that I'm thinking about this? Since you didn't really say it was like a bit for the other she's oh, this is good food for thought for you. I don't, and I don't even know Elizabeth other than like uh, doing the show. So I don't know. It says he rarely thinks that anything is his fault. Now, no, I was raised to believe that everything was my fault, and that's why I've got a good, healthy dose of guilt and self-loathing. Some genetic, some learned, because the family's mixed up between the Catholics and the Jews. I've got the best part of all the self-loathing and guilt uh, in relation to that. I don't know, Elizabeth, about this. And then the first one here, though, this is tough, says he's in touch with his mom almost every day. Well, I'm effectively a caregiver in some fashion in that regard, so yeah, I am, but I... I don't think that makes me emotionally immature. I'm, I mean, I'm a whimpering in the corner when things don't go my way. I, Elizabeth, thank you, though. And, but any of those that seem to uh, ding bells for you about yourself or someone you know, well, I'm glad we could help, or at least thank Elizabeth about that. We'll get into some slang a little bit later. Um, I spent some time at a distance for those wanting to make sure uh, with my friend's kids recently. And I had no idea about half of what they were saying. I now have a list that's been compiled of some of the slang that uh, the kids are using now that maybe uh, we don't know the same way that what we used, maybe our parents didn't know, and so forth. We'll touch on that a little bit later, like glow up, stan, w, dank, fina, or fina, cap, change. Or chunky? I don't know. Chunky? I don't know what that is. I, I'm not sure exactly. What, it says something that is uh, chunky is not all that trendy. trendy. That might be me. I don't, I, I, same thing I've been doing. I've always been doing. Snack. Well, uh, snacks like good edibles. Uh, good, something good to eat, I mean. you got to be careful how you say that in these days. Uh, it, it, well, of course, we don't have. You can get edibles uh, from the pharmacy now if, if you've got a special card, I think. Uh, but you can't just go recreationally and get it. And I always, as a kid growing up with like Scooby-Doo, the Scooby snack thing always threw me. But then I realized as I got older, and it's an old thing, but it's true. Watch a rerun of the Scooby-Doo. The side door, the mystery machine opens, the smoke billows out, the dog's talking, they're chasing ghosts, and they're looking for Scooby snacks. But a snack also is a person you find attractive. Maybe because you want to, you know get up in there or something. I don't even know what that meant, but I mean, I think you get the general idea of what I'm saying. High key also, they say, is simply the opposite of being low key. That, that's not really all that hard to figure out, really. Most of these terms aren't that bad, but we'll touch on them a little bit more. Fam, that's family. Wow, that's not hard to figure out. Glow up is a makeover or transformation from bad to good. I'm working on that. That's the push-ups. I've been talking with James. Series Meat Eater. As a hunter and wildlife enthusiast, the question comes up. How can you justify killing and eating animals that you love and protect? Well, that's part of what we wrangle with on the Meat Eater podcast, along with broader and often funnier discussions about living an outdoor life in the modern world. We insist on sharing challenging opinions to inspire thought and action. Listen to the Meat Eater podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Here we are. 
fourth day of January, 2022. People making plans, resolutions, ideas of new beginnings, improving their situation, trying to get out of ugly things, or maybe just do it a little bit better. And Well, who knows? Every aspect of life, really. And, and something that's been going on for the better part of the last year, thought it had slowed down a bit, and then, uh, news coming out now uh, from the Labor Department saying 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs in November alone. It's a part of this, what they're calling the Great Resignation. People uh, deciding that they've had enough of doing what they're doing. Life's too short, maybe, or they're not making enough money, and it's time to move on and do something else. And uh, someone who knows about a little of all of that and bettering your career situation from the com is Julie Balky. Welcome back with Sterling on the Big One. How are you, Julie? Hey, Sterling. Good. How are you? We're doing fine. Happy New Year. Since we just spoke, we did about a week ago, yeah. give or take. And, and uh, We did. It's kind of a strange scenario. Um I, I'm just sort of shocked. Maybe I shouldn't be, considering any time you drive, even if you, you just drive down Montgomery Road or anywhere else for that matter, you can look in the front of stores, not just fast food restaurants, but uh, other uh, d- dining establishments, all sorts of different types of businesses. Uh, this resignation in mass continues. Uh, a lot of people had said, oh, well, they thought it was the you know unemployment benefits. People were getting extra money with uh, mm-hmm. you know an attempt to sort of uh, save the economy during the lockdown and these uh, tough economic times. But it's not necessarily the case. Julie Balke, what do you see about this, and what does it all mean for the, all of us in the greater economy? You know, over the last several months, you know, as you know, I've talked with several on, you know, with several uh, on Sloney and with Eddie and Rocky, and we've talked about this over and over again. And, you know, it was an overly simplistic conclusion to say, well, you know, once we quit giving people all this extra money, they'll go back to work. Well, we knew, we saw in several cases, in some, like half the states, I think 26 states, took the, the unemployment benefits away, like in like June or July and saw no uptick in, in, in employment. Then the rest of the states followed suit in September, same thing happened. And so we, we are oversimplifying a complex issue. And when you look at all the things that go into it, I, I have to say, I've been doing this type of work for 25 years, and I'm not surprised. Um, and, and some of this has, is predictable, some of it's been coming, must it, most of it has been coming. In fact, COVID simply pushed it along farther. But we, we you know, we had generational gaps in terms of, um, you know, when the boomers retired, there weren't going to be enough enough people to take those jobs. Well, what happened with COVID is that a lot of boomers they moved up their retirement date significantly. So when you look at what who has left the workforce, if you if you cut it down or if you categorize it by generation, the boomers are actually the ones leaving the workforce not to come back or at least not to come back the way they were at a faster pace than anyone else. And, you know, we love to blame the millennials, blame the Gen Z for being lazy, which is a way oversimplification of the situation. But it's everything from, you know, boomers retiring more quickly than they were planning to. That's been a big suck out of the workforce. Technology has allowed work from home, but what technology has also done over the last several years is it has blurred whatever line was left between work and home. 
So if you think about you know, years and years ago, you could you know come home from work at 5, 5.30 and forget about it until the next morning. Well, all of a sudden, everybody expects you to be available 24-7. And that had to hit the wall at some point because people were on top of that getting so stressed out, their quality of life was poor, their relationships were suffering. There was just so, you know, people weren't taking vacation time. They weren't even taking close to what they were allotted in vacation time because they were afraid of losing their jobs. And so that has an end date. Now, people are going to burn out, and they've had, they, and they have. So now you've got all of those things going on, plus the fact that for every three job openings, there are two people. And so people are, shall we say, feeling their oats a little bit and saying, okay, you know, I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to figure out what my next best move is. And by the way, I can't do that while I'm working 75 hours a week. So I've got some money saved or I'll get a side hustle, or my spouse has a job, and I'm going to step back, reset, and figure this out. And we're still seeing, we're still seeing that happen. Now, I, it's, it's going to abate. I believe in first quarter we're going to see some things turn around a little bit, but it's never going to go back to the way it was. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Talking to the Balky groups, Julie Balky. No. It's in the name. Uh, this idea of change, it's constant. In a lot of things, and you mentioned technology and the idea of being able to virtually be anywhere. I have friends who previously were locked down and couldn't leave the office or where they were in a teaching situation or other types of business. And uh, I, I know that in the next week or two, uh, two different sets of couples will in mass both be going to Florida and working from there remotely mm -hmm. and uh, kicking back on the beach and fishing and drinking booze, hanging out while we're here pushing snow out of the way and going, my God, when is Red's opening day? When will the sun shine again in the great yep. grayness? Yep. So there, there's a lot of that oh happening God, yeah. as well. Um, oh, what about absolutely. The, just think, yeah, go ahead. No, that's all right. I'm just thinking at this point, there's a lot of people trying to decide what matters to them. If they're going to be spending the time right. to earn the money that they want to make, and it is not all just the kids, and it's not even all what has been stated before, and I sort of touched on it in, in your intro, Julie, is that it's not just those entry-level or uh, uh, fast food or hospitality jobs, though they are having uh, structural challenges right now as well. It seems to be every aspect of our economy. It is, but the most visible to us is excuse me retail and hospitality in the service sector because we encounter those places every day yep. where we might not see what's going on at Joe's insurance company or you know Fred's uh, you know Fred's consulting company <laughs> but we do see what's going on in the service economy but, you know something I think is something else worth mentioning we spent all this time these last several years talking about side hustle get two jobs and there were people who because of the pay had to work more than one job. Right. Well, as these, as some companies and organizations have raised the prices significantly, a lot of those people have been able to quit that second job. And so I think that's part of it too. And, and now, of course, the challenge with the, the inflation that we're seeing for a host of different reasons, whether it's rising rate wages, it's a demand and supply chain issues, uh, on and down, uh, down it goes. I mean, this is a seismic shift. And you say first quarter, we may start to see it shake out a little bit, but we're talking a generational change, too. So, I mean, if you're somebody who's 35, 40 years old, you may have a couple of kids at this point. Maybe you want to go back to school, whatever else it is. I mean, where 
I guess if you if you knew exactly how it was going to play out, you probably wouldn't even be talking to me, Julie Balky. But uh, <laughs> I'd, have it on, I'd be on my own island. Uh, hey, yeah, that's all right. I, I'd take a, a canoe over and just say hello. Um, <laughs> what what exactly are we expecting here in a year to three years? You think because right now there's still businesses trying to navigate this and figure out, wow, do I need this space in this office building? Am I going to need this storefront? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Are we going to go into right. and, and look at the you know a mall that's being reconfigured with residences and workspaces and, and uh, schools inside of them and all the other things? I mean, this seems to be a massive change in the life as we know it. It is. And, you know, work from home is not for everybody. And so there are people who are going to want to come back into the office. And there are some businesses, some professions, some work that does have to be done while you're in the same room with others, like physical therapists, you know, as an example. So there's sure. plenty of those that are going to, you know, that, that will remain somewhat the same. But when you look at these big office spaces, and I think, you know, there will still be office space because there will need to be time and place to get together with your teams. Right. But, you know, when, but when you look at, I mean, companies have, I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal, I was talking about all the money employers have saved just by not having an open workforce, you know, like think about just not only the lease, but the heat, the air, the, you know, just the, all the money you're saving not by not having physical space. And some of them are saying, okay, well, we're going to have to reallocate some of those resources to salary, you know, to bonuses. Right. Um, we expect raises to be higher next year because of this. And so good old supply and demand, if you were paying attention and not hung over in Econ 101, <laughs> you know that that applies whether you're talking about widgets or human beings. And we're just not used to this lack of supply in human beings. And so employers, I think there's some really smart ones out there that are doing a lot right to try to attract and retain their people. But I do – there's a big – group of employers out there as well who who are living in denial and the more like the more they're run like the more the older the people are that are running it we're seeing a little more reluctance and hesitance to adopt kind of the new way of doing things and i'm a boomer so i can say that but <laughs> sort of the it's not just no it's not going to go back to the way it was right just because this is the way it was when you were coming up doesn't mean that's going to be the way in the future. And there's something just at the very human level about admitting that, you know, hey, I'm running this company and I don't have all the answers. And, you know, we're, we're, you know the, the questions have changed. And so what you have to do as an employer is, now here's a novel concept, talk to your people and ask them, why are you here? Why have you stayed? What is it that's going to keep you here? What do you think we need to change? What's most important to you? I mean, pollsters and you know people who've done studies have been asking this question for years, and the answer has never changed. It's always flexibility and control over my life. Yep. Salary is halfway down the list. But employers keep thinking, well, throw more money at them. Throw it more helps. money at them. It helps Get now. Get more bonuses. Don't, you, don't, don't kid yourself. More money is always good. For a short period of time, it does. For right. a short period of time. And but then... You know, it's money is not a motivator, but it can be a dissatisfier if you're underpaid. You you got to have that balance where you can find that that sweet spot of quality of life. And and uh, I'm, I've been challenged with the balancing issue of personal and business for, for well for from hatching basically. Um, in, in the midst of this, Julie Balky from the Balky Group, we were talking about to people also 
nimbly changing themselves, not just their business, as they reassess their wants and their needs. Uh, the idea of retraining or education and following that passion. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the boomer retirement. Yep. That's either it's a side hustle or something else. These are opportunities. How, how is it that one can figure out where the next thing is and the best way to go get that education, those skill sets, so that in 5, 10 years, maybe you're 15 years, 20 years from retirement, maybe give or take if you're lucky earlier. Uh, and, I, mean, I mean, if you love what you do, I guess it doesn't matter. Work is a passion maybe. But how do you know? Because it's changed so fast what the next thing's going to be besides obvious things like health care and, and that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's an yeah. obvious at this point. You know, yeah. And, and one, one thought about boomers, um, as we're seeing all these boomers leave the workforce, I believe that some of them will come back, either because they don't enjoy being retired 100%, but they will come back doing something different. And so I think we have to, if you take – and if you look at somebody who has the the financial resources to retire and step back and do what they want, it's it's certainly if you're not in that position, I get it. It's really scary, but it's the same process. And so sometimes, you know, we've had clients or potential clients or people say to us, "Who's hiring?" I'll say, "Well, you know, that's not really the question. The question is, who's hiring you?" Because you know, if there's great demand, let's say for nurses. That doesn't mean I'd be a good nurse. I wouldn't be. I'd be a horrible nurse. And so even though the market is screaming for nurses, if I were to go to nursing school, if I would even pass, I think I'd be miserable. Right. And so it's, you've got to have you, – you have to look – you've got to switch how you look at it. It's not just what does the market want. That's part of it, of course, because, you, I mean, you can be great at something, but nobody will pay you for it, and that doesn't work. But it's, it's that combination. But it has to start with what are the things that you are good at? What are the things that you get excited about doing? And getting as clear on those things as possible. And then where people get really overwhelmed is if even if they're able – and believe me, it is really hard to do this for yourself. I even have a hard time doing it for myself because we're just, I think, naturally kind of you know hesitant to, to – Say that you know to, to put a pen to paper on what we're really good at. We're most of us are, are more clear about what we aren't good at than what we are good at. Well, self awareness that, really that's a difficult thing in the yeah. first place, oh, and to, and to get somebody to give you an assessment because you don't always like to know or don't want to believe how you're seen or you know the work that you do and, and where that sweet spot is of what you're good at too. Yeah, yeah, and you know I, I'm thinking of this woman that I talked to um, a few weeks ago who. Absolutely miserable in her job. Absolutely. She was a referral from a former client, and um, she wanted to talk to us about you know, working with us. And I went online and looked at her LinkedIn profile. I'm like, oh, my God, you have a fabulous background. I told her, I said, you could get – you are going to be in demand. Do not worry about landing another job. And she said, really? I said, are you kidding? <laughs> Everything on her resume screamed. It's what companies are looking for. Operations, supply chain, project management. I mean, but her her confidence was so beat down that she couldn't even see her own capabilities. And you know, frankly, that's one of the reasons why people hire us to work with them. It's an investment, but we we kick you in the seat of the pants and we get you moving and we help you see what you're great at. And it's work, but you know, as I always say, so is being in a crappy job. That's work, also. That it is. So that self awareness, right? I mean, so pick your poison. That self awareness. 
is sadly lacking in many. Um, but if you can just start to get your mind around what, if, and so so maybe take it out of so you're not saying I rock at this. What do people come to you for? What do people tell you you're good at? What do people not come to you for? What if you could reconfigure your job or your work life? What would you add to it? What would you take away? Um, you know, what if you could do more of something or less of something? What could it be? These simple questions can really help you um, get clarity. And then what you don't have to worry about, and this is where people get really freaked out. You know, I'm 25 and I'm like, what am I going to do for the next 40 years? Don't worry about that because what you're going to be doing, a lot of those jobs aren't even around yet. Just worry about what you're going to do next. So I don't know what to do with my life. I still don't know what I'd be when I grow up, which I hate. I, you know, I'm never growing up. You don't up. have to worry about that. Just worry about what you're going to do next. And that can be as simple as moving toward the things you like best, the things you are most comfortable doing, the things you get compliments and feedback on. Just how about if you found a jo- an opportunity to do more of those things? Great counsel. That, doesn't that sound a lot more doable? Actually, I want to tell you that I put a brand new workshop. It's free up on my website, thebalkygroup.com. It's 45 minutes. It's free. You can watch it as many times as you want. And I walk you through um, how to think about these things. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I, I want to help as many people as possible. And you may go through it and go, oh, I get it. And you may go through it and decide you want to be a client. But either way, it's free. It's on my website. And I personally walk you through, you know, how to think about these things. Um, so that at least gives you, you know, a kick in the seat of the pants. Because if you were ever going to change jobs or careers, this is the year to do it. There you go. Depending on what your personal situation is, but this is this ain't your daddy's 2008. com is the webpage. Always good counsel, perspective, insights, and now more than ever with a great uh, resignation. Either oh people leaving the yeah. gig that you have, or maybe you're looking to leave and find something new. Julie Balke, thanks as always for your time. Happy New Year. All right, we'll always. talk soon. All right, I need too. some self-assessment. Okay. I need some counsel. I need some direction. I, I need to be self-aware and make sense of something. I, I have no idea what the hell what, though. Good talking to Julie. Come back, 12th, or 10.30 report coming up. Later, uh, Steve Abbott, Executive Director, Cincinnati, Kansas. Uh, advisors uh, and a whole lot more sterling for Gary Jeff Walker on 700 WLW and now a moment of literary sophistication his mind is undeniable his body's polished granite sometimes it makes me wonder if he's even from this planet Bill Cunningham each show is a new verse Tomorrow at 12 noon on 700 WLW. What's that? Oh, you hate your job. Hmm. Well, just spreak up a little. All right, not speak up. Spreak up. You know, if you have something to say, you have a passion you could spend hours talking about every day. If you've always fantasized about doing a podcast, you just have to spreak up. That's what we call it over at Spreaker.com. S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R for my heart. It's the easiest way to podcast and get paid for it. So, you know, spreak up. Spreak for yourself. Spreak your mind. Spreak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> Cancerscreeninfo.com. Hey, how you doing? Glad you're along. Fine Tuesday night. Sterling. 700 WLW. Most of us at this point, if uh, you're old enough to, to decide what to listen to on the radio, you probably know someone who's been affected by a cancer diagnosis. 
and uh, it's uh, fairly prevalent, men and women, uh, a variety of different things, children as well, and uh, someone who deals with this on a, on a daily basis. Um, thankfully, I have some friends that have uh, survived, say, breast cancer, a good friend of mine, uh, with fantastic treatment and support. Um, but, but a guy who is seeing on the other side, sometimes you get that diagnosis, you don't know exactly where to turn. You go, well, maybe, maybe I need another uh, you know, consultant. Uh, I need maybe a second opinion. And, and someone who knows a, a little bit about all of these things is uh, the executive director of the Cincinnati Cancer Advisor, Steve Abbott. Welcome to 700 WLW. You're with Sterling. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing fine, Sterling. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you being here. Um, that's one of those things that I've been with someone when they were given the diagnosis. I know how it felt when I heard it myself. Uh, I saw it on their face. I've had family members and friends that I've lost, some that have uh, survived and continue to deal with it, and it's an everyday thing. In one fashion or another, it seems to be becoming more and more prevalent, though uh, technologies and treatments uh, are making it more survivable daily, it seems. Uh, doing what you do, Steve Abbott, as executive director of the Cincinnati Cancer Advisors, what are you seeing in the prevalence of cancers and, and uh, treatments associated with that here in the tri-state? Yeah, you know, it's it's a great point, and it's um it's a it's good and bad. I mean, so you, if you look at statistics, it does appear that cancer is on the rise. I'd almost submit that cancer detection is on the rise, and so I think that's the good news part of the story. And you know, if you look at what's coming down the pike, um, probably over the next five to ten years, um, there's really a revolution coming in, in terms of early cancer detection. So, you know, with, what we're trying to work with some partners um, as far as that goes with some blood tests that can identify um, 40 to 50 different types of cancers early on, some of which are deadly cancers if not caught early. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, you know, i got to tell you, I mean, I was diagnosed eight years ago uh, with prostate cancer, and... I would almost tell you that I would—I almost kind of ran away from from my diagnosis. I got diagnosed here in Cincinnati by a great doctor, but I was completely asymptomatic, and it—it it was hard for me to believe that I had cancer. And so, you know, I got in the car and started going to other places because I—I wanted to hear a different answer, and and I never got that. Um, but that's good because it was—I got consistent answers everywhere I went. I went to Cleveland. I went to Columbus. And um, I went to New York, and uh, wow. and so you know at least all the answers were the same. But um, but you know I, I I you know I really do believe that we're we're on the path to cancer becoming a chronic disease for a lot of people, not for everybody. Not everybody has the same outcome, unfortunately. But um, I think a lot of people will begin to battle this as a chronic disease instead of a life-threatening or life-ending disease. Steve Abbott, the executive director of Cincinnati Cancer Advisors, Sterling, 700 WLW. So as you went through this, I'm, I'm curious, and you brought it up, uh, so I'll delve into your personal side. You can tell me when you, you want to stop talking about you and we'll carry on. But you went and, and had multiple opinions. Were the treatment plans mm -hmm. that may have been presented to you similar? Because those can vary from whether you're, you know, at one facility to another or with a group of doctors on a panel that are sort of discussing your case and trying to figure out what is the best path to getting you clear again and healthy. Yeah, yeah, they, and they, you know, you're right, and they really can. And what was interesting, um, and that was kind of, uh, when I say the lesson I learned, it doesn't mean it was a, a bad lesson, but... Um, you know, I went to, you know, I, I heavily researched uh, my disease and and tried to, uh, you know, go, go get additional opinions from people that were marquee names in, in the prostate cancer field. But, you know, the, the downside to that is that those are those are very busy people that are in demand and they don't have a lot of time to spend with you. And so 
part of what our model is is to um, is to really spend time with the patient, to spend a lot of time researching their case, to be kind of an assistant to their doctor, to be complementary care, not competitive care. And so, um, you know, on average, we'll probably spend eight to ten hours, sometimes maybe even more, depending on the complexity of the case. Wow. But um, you know, we'll call around the country. We'll call sometimes around the world to other experts that are, that our oncologists know. And um, and so, you know, cancer is a disease that when you hear that word, I mean, it, everything speeds up. Um, and you, like you said, you've been in the room when people hear it, and the room starts to spin, and and everything starts to move fast, and you've got to make decisions quickly, and they're life-threatening, life-altering decisions. And um, and there's a place I think for someone to kind of slow everything down and say take a deep breath and, you know, we're going to dig into this and uh, we're going to spend some time on this. And so we do that. We look at clinical trials that might be available. We, you know, we call experts from around the world. We, you know, engage our own oncology team. Um, and we spend a lot of time with patients answering every question they have and taking as much time as they need. So, um, you know, you really have to, as a patient, you have to be your own advocate. Um, it's overwhelming at times, but, um, you know, there's a, you can strike a balance between, um, you know, doing too much research and being scared to death and doing enough to at least advocate for yourself. And, and that's kind of our sweet spot, I think, where we help patients. People can be paralyzed by that analysis and overwhelmed, as you mentioned, just with your head spinning with everything going on. And it doesn't even necessarily matter the type of cancer. And it can be very expensive. It can be overwhelming and sometimes challenging to get in and be able to afford financially that's second or third opinion, depending on the case. And, and for those who don't know, and I, I want to make sure I understand this properly, for what you do uh, at the Cincinnati Cancer Advisors, is there a cost to it, or is this one of those things where somehow yeah. you guys are able to make it affordable for people? Uh, it's a great question. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, so we were founded in 2018 by Dr. Bill Barrett, who's co-director of UC Cancer Center. And, uh, and Bill had seen a lot of instances over the years where he felt like a second opinion was warranted. And so he created kind of a pilot project where it was, you know, let, let's create something where people can come and get that level of assistance. Um, I'm not, and he started it um, on his own time. So, you know, they really, he didn't have to charge, but, um, but it, it caught on and people, you know, the, the reaction was so great. And so where we kind of, grew that concept was, let's provide this free of charge, um, try to keep people from having to travel out of the area. If you think about it, you know, oftentimes people are sick, they don't feel well. Um, it's not a great time for them to get on a plane and go somewhere else because they think they need to. Yep. And, um, and, so, and it's inconvenient, the communication between the, the faraway opinion and the treating oncologist is not great. Things sometimes fall through the cracks. And so the idea was, let's provide platinum level care here in town and to where people don't have to go away, we'll provide it free of charge. That way they don't have to argue with your insurance companies. They can just come here and just be seen, um, get the advice they need and go their own way. So everything we do is funded through private philanthropy. Um, it's, a you know, our, our, our hope and our goal is that what we do resonates with, with private donors and with private foundations and so far so good. I mean, it's, you know, we've, you know, we can keep our doors open and pay our bills and, Things are going well, and um, we served over 300 patients this year. Our goal is 550 to 600 patients this coming year, and we're going to add some additional oncologists, treat some additional specialty areas. And um, but no, I mean, if if people, there's no risk. There's and there's really not a bad outcome. You're either going to get 
um, our opinion will be we'll either confirm what your oncologist says or maybe give you something else to think about. But in all cases, we'll be communicating with your oncologist um, in an attempt to be helpful. So you guys will have a collaboration with that team that you're already working with, perhaps that you, you know that you're comfortable with before they even come to the Cincinnati Cancer Advisors. That's kind of nice too, because sometimes there's that. Uh, I've seen it, but not at a level of cancer care. Sometimes it's like, well, you know, don't question me. I know what I'm doing. Sometimes there's an, an awkward, uncomfortable thing to say, hey, I want to talk to somebody else about this before we move forward with a, a plan of attack for whatever is ailing me. Uh, that's a challenge yeah, thing, yeah. too. It re- no, it really is. And you've really hit on something, too, because I, what our goal is, and I think the, that's the way it kind of works with us so far, is it creates kind of the right level of tension in that um, – we have no incentive to take a patient away. We, we don't, you know, we're not treating the patient. We're consulting with the patient. Um, so, you know, we're not, we're not going to take over their care. Um, so there's no real threat to the physician. The only threat might be, um, you know, to my own ego or my own reputation. But, you know, we're not out. We don't have any reason to try to make anybody look bad. Our goal is just to work directly with them. And, you know, the nice thing is, is that um, it, it Kind of everybody kind of raises their their game a bit. I think if you if you know somebody else is kind of keeping an eye on things, it's not a negative thing, but it, it puts just just the right amount of tension I think in the process to where you know everybody's doing their best, and that, that's really all we're looking for. Um, we're not looking to take over anybody's patient, nor can we at this point. We don't we don't have the machines and the, the linear accelerators and the chemotherapy you know, uh, regimens and things like that. I mean, we're just there to just do our best to help people. And that's what, uh, that's what you need at a most serious time in yeah. one's life, usually. Steve Abbott's the executive director of Cincinnati Cancer Advisors, Sterling 700 WLW. So what trends are you seeing uh, right now with the type of cancers? Uh, I mean, because, I mean, there's a variety of them uh, that I'm mean, from pancreatic. I mean, my mother had a, a, an issue with the thyroid. I've known other people with thyroid yeah. issues. A big, it, it, seemingly, that's also sometimes regional from what you know, what environment you grew up in. Yeah. A lot of different things that you've consumed, and sometimes it's genetic as well. Yeah, it, it, well, it's crazy. I mean, the things you don't even think about. And you mentioned thyroid, but I read a study on this years ago where you know, take this as a as a simple example. But you know, years ago, even when when Americans started getting into all the fancy salts, I mean, those sea salts and the Malden salts and the Himalayan salts and things like that. Well, you know, those salts aren't infused with iodine. I mean, like your, like your old fashioned Morton salt was. And, um, you know, the lack of iodine uh, can in some cases contribute to thyroid cancer. And so it's things you don't even think about that from an environmental standpoint that can influence those types of things. Um, but when you talk about trends, um, you know, I think really, and again, I'll come back to this. I think it's. I think this is ultimately going to be a, a good news story, which is that there's there's so many tools coming online. Um, you know, blood tests in place of what used to be tissue biopsies, um, things that that can kind of take the, you know, the fear and uh, um, the dread out of the process. And you know, I think it's going to create a new world where. You know, maybe you're going to see your primary care physician once a year for your physical and as part of your blood draw, you know, they screen for, you know, 50 different types of cancer. And, you know, nobody really wants to hear that. Nobody really wants to hear, hey, we, you know, we picked up on uh, your potential cancer. But, I mean, wouldn't you rather hear it when it's in stage one than in stage three or four? For those who don't know, you, you said something interesting. Uh, 
the early diagnosis, and people don't want to hear it, they'll run from it. You mentioned that early on in the conversation. And that, you know, the idea is you don't want to put it off. Guys are notorious for, I'll be all right, maybe this is just me getting old. Guys are the worst. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I worked with a guy some years ago, and a good friend of mine. She actually, uh, you know, a few years ago, she had breast cancer and and survived it. And the treatments that she received it made it not just you know it's survivable but treatable. It would have killed her ten years ago. And, and men are, yeah. are getting in yeah. higher numbers breast cancer as well. But we awful situation. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. And the other thing is too is that and that that where that's what really complicates things is sometimes. Um, you know, there can be some cancer sim- symptoms that mimic other things, and so, and those things can ebb and flow, and then so, you know, one day you seem like you might feel something, the next day maybe you don't, and you're like, oh, okay, so I'm good. Um, but, you know, I think anytime you got to know your own body, and anytime something starts to feel um, unusual, something that wasn't there before, um, you know, like you said, nobody really wants to take a chance on hearing those words, but, you know, it's, I think about when I was growing up, you know, even, 30, 40 years ago, and, you know, when you heard somebody had cancer, it was almost always already too late, and and that whole paradigm has shifted now. I mean, really, um, you know, caught early, I, I don't want to say most, but a good number of these cancers can be dealt with effectively, and, and you know, and, and if we can render these into chronic diseases, it's where we're headed, honestly, is to manage these things like chronic diseases, but it, it totally hinges and relies on early detection and self-care and um and people taking advantage of the tools that are that are being given at this point which are which are plentiful are we ever gonna we ever gonna eradicate it or is it just one of those things that is here and it's just a matter of of navigating it i mean because we also have heard that our modern society and everything that's made our quality of life so much better and easier in many ways lifestyle medications all the stuff around us in our environment oftentimes contributes to our vulnerability for cancers but, you know, the, the minds yeah, you look yeah. at it and the technology and the big brains behind it, yourself included, you kind of go, well, man, is there not an end game to this? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's, by the way, that's a great question because, um, you know, and I'm not, a, I'm not an oncologist, but I spend a lot of time in this space, um, you know, for reasons that are, that are very personal to me. My wife's a breast cancer survivor as well. And mm-hmm. I work every day with oncology, uh, with oncologists and, um, I do volunteer work for cancer uh, organizations around the country, but you know, and I, I gave, I actually gave a talk several years ago about that very thing, which is like, you know, there's always this thing about we're going to cure cancer. Um, even as an outsider, it, it's a struggle to understand how that could happen because you know, cancer is a function of erratic cell division. So your body has billions of cells, and so I don't know how you can really ever say you could get to the point where you can keep. Um, random cells in your body from, you know, from becoming erratic and from malfunctioning. It's just, it's hard to envision that. But I think what you can envision is, you know, it, like let's say, for example, if you think about how um, proteins uh, fold themselves and become part of a, of a cell and, and when those go bad, how that can, that could cause a, a cancer cell to become, can, a cell to become cancerous, you know, then the, the how you manage this is later on you figure out what you do when that protein goes bad, basically. So, um, you know, I don't know how we ever make it like render it to where it can't happen, but I think what we can do is have effective solutions. And that's we're, those are coming up. We're coming up with those every day. When I say we, I mean, I'm not part of the research community, 
but it's you know it's happening uh, to where you know pe- people find out how to manage uh, certain amino acids or certain proteins and how they how they affect and result in, in, in cells becoming cancerous and the amount of research that's going on around the world is just phenomenal and um, and so I, I personally I don't see how you can ever eradicate it but I think you can um, render it to the point where it's you know, and you think about this even in the terms of COVID. I mean, we have 600,000 cancer deaths every year in the U.S. We have a COVID outbreak, you know, every single year called cancer. And, um, you know, and, and you've got kind of hysteria going around the world about COVID, and, and this is what we have every year with cancer. But I see that number going way down in the future. Um, just as we get different ways, we like your testing and different ways to find this early and treat it. And um, but the onus is on us. I mean, you can't sit back and wait till you're at stage four and expect somebody else to figure it out for you. That makes you sense. You got to catch it early. And, and I've gone yeah. from that. I, I can't go to like WebMD anymore because everything leads to cancer. I, I mean, every <laughs> single thing means <laughs> yeah, that I, I, I'm on my deathbed. I, I've stopped. You know, I got an inch on my I leg. Agree. I'm like, holy crap! Wait, if this and this and that, I'm like, I'll turn it I off, know. unplug it, disconnect. I know. I know. You get a bruise and you think you have lymphoma or something if you go to the website. I agree. I'm I agree. glad it's not just me. That's good. I mean, it's not no, good, it's but, not it is, but, it, but it is what it is. I mean, <laughs> as they say, an overused no, term, no, but true. Uh, yeah, we no, we really appreciate what you do, and it's such a serious thing, and so many of us are touched by it one way or another. And to be able to have a resource that you can look to for a second opinion and some counsel uh, is really priceless, frankly, and we appreciate what you do. Steve Abbott, Executive Director of Cincinnati Cancer Advisors. It's CincinnatiCancerAdvisors.org. I'll tweet that out again. Thank you for making time and doing awesome. what you do. I appreciate it. Uh, we really appreciate you having us on. I mean, it, 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 it's funny. I often tell people the last thing we want is more customers, but, um, but you know, if to the extent that people need help, we're there. Um, call us, and, and we'd love to help wherever we can. Well, I hope to have you on and again in the future with positive news, but I, I wanted to get you on because it just it seemed relevant for a number of reasons right now, and I know I'm not the only one feeling that way. So thank you, Steve Abbott. Take care of yourself, and Thanks, we'll have a fantastic new year. Uh, again, Cincinnati. Sounds good. You too. All right, my man. Uh, CincinnatiCancerAdvisors.org. I'm all right. I, I think I'm fine. I have a little bit of a brain fog, but everything's great. It's Sterling, 700 WLW. Hey, it's Scott Sloan with a voicemail from a very loyal listener. Hey, Sloaney, it's Marcus. Some of the guys here at work don't believe you and I are tight, so I bet them you do me a solid and give me a shout-out on tomorrow's show. I try to make sure every listener feels like they're part of the show. That's why I concentrate on the real issues that affect you and your family. If you can't do it, that's cool. You'll just owe me 20 bucks. Hey, glad you're along. Thanks for making time or taking us with you wherever you are, whatever you're doing, over the road, stuck in a cubicle, on the job, at home, can't sleep, whatever it is. Maybe working in the other room producing the show, Matt Steinman, Sterling here for Gary Jeff Walker trying to make sense of stuff. Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum going to join us, UC Health. You know, it'd be nice to have him on sometime and talk about nothing serious. Uh, but that's not the way this is going to go tonight in conversation about the... Uh, rising wave uh, of infections and hospitalizations and the stress that our hospitals are under right now and what we can do about it. We'll talk to him after the 1130 report. To start, I would like to have a little fun in the midst of everything else right now because we've been... I've tried to layer it 
it's like braiding or planning an event of some sort when you're doing a show. You try to figure out, depending on what's in the news, try to have a little fun, try to a little bit of the serious, try to make sense of stuff. And now I'm trying to goof off, frankly, because uh, I, I can't handle all the serious too much. I want to put my head through the wall, and, and then that would be bad for the studio space. That would be bad. Uh, it's like quitting your job in the mass resignation, but in a colorful way. Maybe that is what I should do now that I think about it, but I'm not going to do it. I kind of like doing this. So anyway, uh, here's what I'm wondering. Uh, back from the holidays, maybe distance learning from school, maybe delayed getting back, whether it's NKU, UC, you name it, lots of chaos with everything going on. But if together with family over the holidays, uh, I know I'm not the only one who gets to experience the weird, awkward, uncomfortable, sometimes dysfunctional and weird conversations that may take place. And I'm looking at some research here, and uh, one in three people, they said, were dreading the holiday conversations that turn weird and awkward before the holiday. So what I'm wondering is now, after the holidays, here we are, January 4, 2022. I'm wondering what type of weirdness you dealt with. With the kids coming home, or you going to grandparents' house, or mom and dad's, whatever it is, cousins, aunts, in-laws, you name it, stepchildren, who knows? Lots of question of who's really the dad or mom for the, well, you usually know who the mom is. Uh, it, but I mean, you know, the, the questions go on and on with that. 513-749-7000, the big one. Pound 700 on AT&T. If you got an AT&T device, pick up the phone, give it the fingers, my uh, late good friend Mr. Uh, K would say. And at Sterling Radio on Twitter, you can certainly follow along and reach out that way as well. Uh, let me just lay out here. This this is from Study Finds. It's a great research thing. I like polls uh, and research studies and asking probing questions. And uh, they talked to four in ten people, and they said that uh, sex topic conversation overall that they wanted to avoid during the holidays. I don't know how often that comes up. I don't know that it, other than being like about six years old when mom sat me down after I asked probing questions about babies or whatever, I don't remember a whole lot of sex conversations with mom. And at that point, she made me promise, and it didn't quite work out, that I'd wait to have sex till I was out of college, that I was married, and, and uh, had a career going before I actually, you know, did the deed. And uh, I failed at that. Um, but, you know, I'm still here. Uh, so not a lot of sex conversations, but 40% of people say they, they avoid those uh, during the holidays. Uh, also, their own love life, 30%, 31% say they, they're not hip to it. Politics, 29, only 29% of people wanted to avoid the conversation of politics with the family and, and uh, getting together over the holidays. That surprises me. I would think that that number is much higher. Because of just the general strife and frustration and aggravation and combative nature as to where we are, it seems. I mean, we're two days out from the January 6th anniversary of the, the attack on the Capitol. So I think, I don't know that we've gotten a whole hell of a lot better than we were then right now, other than the fact that it's a year ago. I could be wrong. 28% prefer not to talk about money. Uh, those are all part of the list of so-called taboo topics or whatever else sort of goes with that. I'm wondering what weird conversation have you had. The one that I often get is, are, are, what happened to this girl? Why aren't you with her? I, I ran into her. She seemed really happy. And I'm like, oh, well, glad you could bring up the fact that you ran into I'm glad she's doing well. Well, whatever happened with you two? You guys seem good together. What'd you do? Immediately, then it turns around, I'm the guy. And, and they're absolutely right. It almost always is my fault. But I can totally understand that, you know, other people not wanting to have that conversation. These are the top questions that people dread during the holidays. When are you going to move out? Talking to kids, I suppose. Or maybe maybe you got parents who've come home uh, to, to you. And then you're like, 
Is this going to get the hell out of here? Usually after a couple of cocktails and people start to relax a little bit is when the truth comes out. Like people all go, I mean, maybe it's just my family. And when I was a kid, they, they said they were never arguing. What I was told was they were just having loud discussions. I was like, okay, I guess that's what it is. And sometimes you know, people get a little chapped in the backside because they weren't happy with how the conversations were going. As I just mentioned, what happened to the nice person you were dating? That's the 14th out of 15 top questions in research, they say, of people dreading during the holidays. Has this stuff happened to you? Uh, why did you do that to your hair? I don't have that problem. I get where'd the hair go. Oh, I remember when you had hair. Do you remember when your hair used to be as long almost as your waist? And then you shaved it off on the side, and now, look, it's all gone. And I go, well, yeah. Well, I mean, it isn't. I mean, I can let it grow, but it, it's, it looks like I'm getting treatment for some type of something serious. Uh, and it's just because, uh, you know, I follically challenged. I crapped out on that gene. Who knew? Would you like children one day? That's another question. That's the 11th most dreaded question or miserable question during the holidays. When are you going to get married? Uh, we see a common theme here. Success in life. Relationships, right? <laughs> on your own, handling business. Oh, he- here's a health question. The number one on the list. Have you put on weight? This is what I get. Man, are, are you okay? I mean, you need to bulk up or something. You seem thin. What's the matter? When you were with so-and-so, you were heavier. I'm like, well, yeah, she cooked a lot of cookies and cakes and stuff, man. I, I'm not doing a lot of that now. Uh, we miss her. She was really nice. Okay, you get the common thread that I get? Yeah, that, that's the life I'm living. Uh, the other one, uh, have you found a partner, boyfriend, girlfriend yet? See, this is all the common thread. When are you going to have a baby? Why are you still single? Why aren't you married yet? When are you going to get married? These are all just twists on the particular question or topic at hand. Oh, here's the other one. And I've been getting this since I started working in radio. Uh, when are you going to get like a, a proper job, a real, a real job? And the only, I'll tell you, until like I started working here at 700 WLW, for, for a lot of people I know, family wise, None of these radio jobs were real. Then I got to work here with Willie, and I got to work here with McConnell, and, and then they're like, oh, yeah, and the Reds, and, and then the Bengals. And then they go, well, now, Sterling, you've, you've got like a real gig. You're getting something done. I'm like, okay, what about all these other years? Well, it was nice. It was concerts, but it was music. I mean, really, what are you doing? I go, oh, I see. And, and this, I know I'm not the only one with that type of stuff. And then I get questions about everybody here when, when I get together with people, too. Uh, when are you going to buy the house? When are you going to sell a house? Would you like to have children one day? See, all of this. 513-749-7800, the big one, pound 700 AT&T. Uh, what type of questions did you get? Are these the questions that you ask? And, and then I, I also realize that I, I've turned into like the the uncle overprotective. So I'm with a buddy of mine, and his daughter brought home a guy uh, for the first time and her dad and I are sitting there we've been playing some cards having a drink and they come home and introduce the guy so my buddy and I are there and I'm I'm not wanting to get involved but I because she's always still going to look to me as I remember her as a diaper with like feet arms and, and just running around the house stinking up the place when it was time to get changed now she's like a you know a, a young girl in college and she's got like this boyfriend she brings home. So my buddy's like, you know, giving him grief, her dad. And then I'm starting to ask questions. I'm trying to make him feel okay. But then I'm like, so what about this? What about that? You treating her right? Where are you going? What's your plan? This, that. And then I'm like, and I can see him uncomfortable. 
and I can see, and then, and then I'm, I'm not doing it to make him uncomfortable or feel miserable, but I'm kind of enjoying the fact that because I used to be that guy. I, I was him at one point, and, and then I'm like, dude, it's okay, everybody. It's a, if, if there was a real problem, they, they would have already thrown you out. He's like, man, this is really tough. I don't know. And he's like, I, should, I want to get a drink, but I don't want to drink in front of everybody if this is how it's going to be. I'm like, dude, you're good. You're good. Relax. Everything's fine. Get some food. Don't mess her up. Don't break her heart. He'll get you, and then I'm going to get you. And I'm not connected, so no one will know. He's like, what? I'm like, everything's fine. What, what type of weird, awkward, dysfunctional conversation or situation did you have when you uh, were home or had people over for the holidays? If you did, 513-749-7800, the big one, pound 700 at your chance to get interactive. We'll also talk on the fat. We are fat people. We are like ticks. We are swollen and getting bigger, apparently. I will talk about the risk of, of uh, getting heavier and how it breaks down across the country, uh, the heavier everywhere, and maybe big bone. And I'm not hating on anyone who's put on some pounds. I've been there. I was a fat kid at Sterling, 700 WLW. His name, Rocky Boyman. After a long day, you deserve a little happiness. His name, Eddie Fingers. Forget about your job. Have a little fun with us. Their mission, supplying maximum entertainment. <laughs> Making you happy is job number one. Tune in, have a laugh, get happy. Operational success is dependent on your patronage. It's always a good time when you're a part of the show. Eddie and Rocky, tomorrow afternoon at 3 on 7. Start on your taxes. Go to jacksonhewitt.com to learn more and find a location near you. If you're looking for a new job, look no further. AE Door and Window is currently looking to fill positions on our installation team. Apply today to find out about a sign-on bonus. We offer 401k, health, vision, and dental insurance, as well as a Christmas bonus program. Visit any of the three AE Door locations and fill out an application, or you can send your resume to jobs at aedoorsales.com. That's jobs at aedoorsales.com. Curling along, fine Tuesday night for Gary Jeff Walker. Night first warning forecast tonight. Some clouds, wind kicking around 36. Wednesday, uh, the sun will come up. Uh, maybe we'll see a little of it. About 43 and Thursday, maybe a little accumulating snow. So if kids aren't already remote learning or uh, delayed entry for one reason or another back with whatever else is going on in our world right now, the snow, that four-letter word that everybody pa- immediately see. I shouldn't. I hate doing the forecast and mentioning a snow. Because I realized, like, I, I'm like, man, I, I got to get to Kroger. Maybe I want some black raspberry uh, chip uh, graters. Maybe I want to get some other snacks. Uh, this ties into what I'm going to mention next, which is about a fat America. Uh, and I'm working on it. Uh, th- that's what snow brings. But panic, people panic. We're already in a logistical nightmare with people not getting what they want in the shelves, sort of sporadic, depending on where you go. Now, add snow to the forecast. Holy crap. I'll be stopping on the way home, if at all possible. Uh, right now, and my screen just went dark Mr. Steinman, do you have a temperature in front of you? Uh, I think we got 25 right now here at your severe weather station, 700 WLW. That might be wrong. I'll have to wait and see on that here in just a second. And anyway, as I, I try to figure that out, uh, I'm kind of curious here about weight issues. And the, there's a new research study that, that came out. It's 42. I'm sorry. I should have refreshed that. There you go. 42 right now, your severe weather station. And, uh, yeah, I just said it was going to be colder than it actually is. Anyway, my bad. Uh, looking at this uh, study they did, now this is not like they talked to doctors and got research from physicians and their recorded weights as we go into the office 
and they you know check us along with all the other stuff, vital statistics and so on. This is self-reported heaviness um, across all all the country and so on. Let me just sort of break this down a little bit because uh, I find this interesting. And again, it's just people saying they're just telling the researchers that they're obese. I don't know that everybody's going to be honest and go, hey, I'm heavy. And there are some people probably who think they're heavy and they're not. I mean, just by the nature of things, that's, there are some people like that. They have some serious issues in that regard. Uh, at this point, uh, they say as far as all states and territories uh, had more than 20% of adult obesity across the board in the country. I don't know if that – is that about right, you think? Does that make sense? I mean, if you got a you got a million people, you're going to have 20% of those 200,000 that are probably a little tubby. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean, you know, you, you, sometimes it's good to have some pounds on. Uh, I mean, think if th- times get t- tough, you can you can live off the, the, the heaviness. You know what I mean? Not always. I mean, there's a fine line between that and having it be a problem, but, but it's out there. They say about 20% uh, to less than 25% of adults had obesity in th- Colorado, Hawaii, Massachusetts, and the, the District of Columbia, which, of course, is not a state. 25% or so uh, to less than 30% overall of adults had a- in 11 states were obese. And in 16 states, we're talking Alabama, Arkansas, Indiana, Iowa. It's starting to surround us. Kentucky, Kansas, Louisiana, here in Ohio, South Carolina, Tennessee, West Virginia. 35% of more adults uh, reporting themselves to be heavy or obese. And in the Midwest, they say it's about 34% of us. In the South, 34 In in the past, they used to say that the South was heavier than the Midwest. I don't know what that means. I don't know why. that. Maybe it's good cooking. I mean, when you think about the good cooking in the South, and maybe maybe we do a lot of that here. I don't know if it's the ghetto. I don't know if it's me eating too much ice cream. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the scenario is, but there's a, there's a lot of heaviness that sort of goes along with that. Uh, that's a, it's sort of a wild thing. 35.5% of Ohioans, statistically speaking, say on their own that they are, in fact, too heavy or obese. 36.6% in Kentucky say that and thir- almost 37 36.8% that's self reporting that's i bet th- that number's got to be higher i don't think everybody wants to m- although on a research study like this you have anonymity you can maybe say it and not have anybody know but let's here's the other side if you leave the house there's no hiding from how big you are generally i mean even i mean i i still wear big clothes because i was a bigger dude at one point in time but there's there's no hiding behind it except when you get smaller your stuff's too big and then people go why you're wearing big clothes you should wear something more form fitting and and I still in the back of my mind have this uh, idea that eventually I'm going to get big again and and I've got some clothes just in case because I may not want to run out and get more that's pre-planning that's advanced planning I don't know if it's smart but that that's the way I'm rolling Nevada uh, about just shy of 30% 30% of people admitting uh, or at least saying that they are, in fact, heavy or obese, rightly or wrongly. And, and you know, if you know what was weird is when I went to Europe the first time and I'm around and, and uh, people talked about how fit they were and everything else. And I remember being in the U.K. And granted, I, I'd had a pint or two from time to time and I'm roaming around on my own and then also with some friends at one point. And uh, they're they're heavy there too. Don't let them try to act like somehow we're the unfit ones. That we're the only the unhealthy. Uh, the UK and around Britain, they like to eat and not move around enough as well. It's apparently a universal scenario, so it shouldn't be all that surprising, I suppose. 
Uh, and they, they break this down also by way of race, which uh, I'm not sure how relevant that is, but it, it's a part of it, uh, I, I suppose. And this is self-reporting uh, again. Non-Hispanic Asian adults uh, by state and territory. So that's less than 20% in Ohio. Um, no no report insufficient data in Indiana and Kentucky and West Virginia around us. Pennsylvania, uh, less than 20% in Michigan as well, if you're looking at the state of Ohio in our area, in our region. Self-reporting. You know what I'd like to see? And this is harsh. I mean, it could almost be like, you know, you've seen the Google car that drives around. When, for Google Maps or whatever it is, if you do a search on an address, you can get the street view. And, and you've probably seen the cars. And occasionally, if you're out walking your dog, working in the yard, and there have been some strange stories, people caught in the act of some other weird circumstance, dead people they found on the side of the road. Car just kept going. They just fuzz them out, put a little, like, you know, shade on them or whatever else. They're like, eh, or whatever. You could just have the Google car or whatever else driving around if, if it was seeing people and just take account of who was heavier than they should be or not, depending. And it, you could do that, too. That might be a little better than self-reporting. I, I think I, I don't know. My problem is I'm too honest. I mean, that's that's the thing. And the self-awareness thing is always challenging because, I, again, it's that self-loathing uh, that, that I was brought up with. So I always question those type of things in general. Uh, and this ties in, by the way, let me switch this just a little because I'm short on time. We've got Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum coming up on the other side for University of Cincinnati Medical Center and UC Health talking about the, the COVID situation and these rising numbers in hospitalizations. And, and the hospitalization thing is most important than just the positive testing other than the fact that you want to try to avoid if uh, asymptomatic, obviously, with a positive test, to spreading it. We'll, we'll get into his head about that because he's the expert on the other side of news which is about two and a half minutes away. But earlier we talked to Julie Balke, the Balke group, uh, about the great resignation and everything. So uh, somebody sent me this, and I can't read the email, it's crazy. Uh, but it just it's a story from Quartz at Work, which is interesting. Five signs it's time to quit your job. So it ties into the great resignation scenario. The number one thing, it says you're not learning, but you want to be. So if you're on the job, and you're not getting you know, more food for your head to improve your skills or just a stimulation, what have you, and you're just in monotonous a misery of what you're doing, that might be a, a, a reason to quit your job. Uh, the second, it says, you're learning coping mechanisms rather than skills. They say, in other words, just dealing with managers and the situation and the culture, and it's too argumentative to your liking or it's just uncomfortable, it might be time. It seems fairly clear and obvious. The third on the list is you feel morally conflicted about hiring in that if you were talking to someone about bringing them into the fold, into the company and the workplace you have, and, and you couldn't tell them that you recommended coming to work there, and you had you could say, no, you don't want to be here. And, and I've had that when I've interviewed for a job. And and this tells you one thing or another. I, I At some point, I was sucked in. I'd already decided, he goes, you're going to do it anyway. It's a sickness. You're going to be here. He was like, you don't want to be here. It's a horrible place to work. And, and of course, I took the job. Then we all got fired about eight months later, but that's a whole other story. But if you're conflicted about it and you can't say, hey, man, you want to come work here, it's a great place, then you probably don't want to be there either. If your job is affecting your confidence, in other words, you're not feeling good about your performance, who you are, what you're doing, your future, uh, maybe time to change jobs. And fifth on the list, uh, your job's affecting you physically, stressed out, emotionally, hurting yourself, whatever it is. Uh, health issues, uh, health insurance, whatever, that's that's an issue, too. 
And, and then uh, here's the classic of all classics as it was sent to me. So thank you. I think this is actually from Steve and then a whole bunch of numbers on the email. Uh, it says you're reading this. So the fact that you would read the story or hear the conversation and pay attention to the idea of reasons to quit your job means you might be wanting to find a new opportunity and, and maybe have your ducks in a row before you do it. But it's astounding to me the number of people I've talked to, friends of mine even, who have just been like, eh, I've had enough of this crap, I'm out. And they, they're just, they don't have a new job. They're like, yeah, I feel good. I, I think we'll be okay. Huh, we'll see. Hopefully so, anyway. Uh, on the other side of your 1130 report, Sean Gallagher lets us know what's going on all over the place and what matters to you and yours from NKU and UC and going back to school issues and everything else. And then we'll talk to Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum about the rising tide of infections and hospitalizations around uh, the tri-state and more dealing with this uh, COVID situation. I'm glad you're here. And for Gary Jeff Walker on a fine Tuesday night, I'm Sterling, and this is 700 WLW. News, traffic, and weather. News Radio 700 WLW, Cincinnati. Ohio keeps seeing more people going into the hospital. With the 1130 Report, I'm Sean Gallagher, breaking now. The Omicron COVID-19 variant continues to drive up the number of cases nationwide in Ohio. The daily case numbers and current hospitalizations continue to be higher than at any other point since March 2020. Another day of 20,000-plus new COVID infections in Ohio, and the State Department of Health continues to warn that the sheer volume of cases being reported means that not all are being fully processed every 24 hours. 700 new hospitalizations, but as people are also released, it's a net increase of more than 100, meaning a new record of over 6,250 people currently in an Ohio hospital bed with the virus. I'm Jack Crumley, News Radio 700 WLW. Kentucky's COVID-19 numbers are the highest they've been since the pandemic began. Governor Andy Bashir reported a record 6,915 new cases today, with the positivity rate now up to 21.74%. Bashir asking residents to get vaccinated, get their booster when the time comes, and mask up to help medical workers. We hope the data bears out that it is less severe in its effects than Delta. If this many people continue to get Omicron, it will fill up our hospitals and it will create challenges for others who need care. The U.S. on Monday reporting over one million new COVID cases. Now the latest traffic and weather together and right now no new accidents in the major interstates or highways here in the tri-state. Now the latest forecast from the Train Heating and Cooling Weather Center on News Radio 700 WLW. Mostly cloudy through our overnight, a low of 37 for the morning. The rest of our Wednesday, partly cloudy, a high of 42. At night, it's cloudy, and we're down to 18. A look ahead, an inch or two of snow, likely starting Thursday afternoon. From your severe weather station, I'm 9 First Warning, Chief Meteorologist Steve Raleigh. News Radio 700 WLW. At this time, radar still showing a clear sky. Our current temperature, 41 degrees. Aftap Pureval was officially sworn in as Cincinnati's new mayor today, succeeding John Cranley, who was term limited. Pureval making history, becoming the, f- the first Asian-American mayor in the city's history. In his speech, Pureval touted the diverse city council that he'll be working with. Today we have a historically diverse and cohesive set of council members before you. Council members who bring a lifetime's worth of unique experiences, challenges, and talents. 
New City Council members sworn in today as well. Council member Jan Michelle Lemon Kearney will serve as vice mayor. The COVID surge forcing the University of Cincinnati to go online with classes the first two weeks of the spring semester. Classes begin on January 10th, and UC plans to have in-person activities going again by the 24th. Students who live in residence halls can come back but must present a negative COVID test before moving in. College basketball earlier tonight on the road. Number 16, Kentucky, falling to number 21, LSU, 65-60. Coming up tomorrow, Louisville set to host Pittsburgh at 7 o'clock on Fox Sports 1360. Then here on the big one Thursday night, UC back on the court when they take on SMU at 9 o'clock. Our next update is at midnight. I'm Sean Gallagher, News Radio 700 WLW. 700 WLW Cincinnati. Available everywhere with the iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. 700 WLW and iHeart. Find out why. Start watching today. Hey, glad you're along. Fun Tuesday night, Sterling. The chaos continuing with this uh, COVID-19 situation is ridiculous. Home learning, distance learning, delayed getting back to school. Dr. Carl Fickenbaum's the infectious disease expert at the University of Cincinnati, UC Health. Uh, appreciate you being on with Sterling tonight. How are you, Dr. Fickenbaum? I'm okay, Sterling. How are you? I- I'm doing well. I-, I appreciate you making time. Uh, it seems like we've talked about this so much, but uh, I mean, right now we are in the midst of... Uh, I guess that wave that we talked about to be expected after the holidays. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Very deeply in it. How bad is it uh, on your end and what you're seeing at UC? It's very bad. Very bad. Uh, Our hospitals all throughout the city and the state, for that matter, are stressed. We don't have enough staff. We don't have enough beds. We have a lot of sick patients. And the COVID numbers are rising. It's... uh, out of control um that's not a a good sign and i can hear it actually in your voice unless it's just the fact that you're happy to talk to me i don't know which (laughs) but uh, well i am always happy to talk to you and happy to talk to your viewers but i'm uh i'm struggling here trying to support all my colleagues and i'm actually uh, seeing patients every day in the hospital so i have a first-hand view a bird's eye view and it's not pretty it's not good and uh, it it really calls for all of our uh, all of our help from the community. Everybody's got to pull together. Um, one of the things that's been discussed, and I, I've heard it echoed today. I've had people continue to ask me, and the first thing they say, "Well, all this testing, of course, we're going to see more positive results." They say, "Why test?" I ask you. I, I think I have a good idea because if you're even testing positive and you're asymptomatic and you don't realize it, you can be out there spreading the COVID nineteen regardless of the variant. Is that an accurate assessment? Give me your take and what you do. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. That's right on the button, Sterling. I mean, the biggest problem we have right now are people spreading it throughout the community. And so folks who don't have any symptoms, who don't realize they're infected, are just going to wind up spreading it uh, to their friends and neighbors, and then it just keeps going. And then, of course, some people get sick and wind up in our hospitals. Um, With these hospitalizations up, are you seeing a more serious type of, of situation with the patients, or is this pretty much what we've been seeing? It just happens to be larger numbers because of the, the spread being so much greater now. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing lots of really, really sick people. Um, So I think the public has gotten some notion, and some of this is probably the fault of of some of the uh, scientists and physicians who 
are giving the idea that Omicron is not as dangerous. Uh, we have our intensive care units full. Go on, Dr. Fickenbaum. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, I just think that the, the Omicron is, is just not as as uh, innocuous as people are making it out to be, and uh, people are plenty sick. we got lots of people in intensive care units on respirators uh, needing advanced support, so it's really no joke. Uh, I have a, a cousin who uh, works in the medical field who works in a heart unit and has found herself with it. I've had multiple relatives. I'm just looking at text as I was coming into the studio, and I see a cluster of friends. Their kids apparently uh, may have brought it home from New Year's Eve already, and now they've got multiple households that are dealing with positive tests. Uh, in the midst of all this, there's the talk of distance learning. A lot of people very irate about this. Uh, the question saying, hey, if you're vaccinated, what does it matter about getting tested or whatever else? It's sort of echoing what we touched on earlier, but coming from you means a little bit more than me. That's why you're the expert, Dr. Fichtenbaum. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that uh, people are very frustrated, and rightfully so. This has been going on too long, and and it's hard to understand. But it's very clear, look, if you get vaccinated, that's going to protect you, and you don't wind up seeing me in the hospital. Uh, but it's not going to stop you from getting infected necessarily, and but it is going to protect you from getting really, really sick and having to be in the hospital and receive care there. So the vaccine does work for what it's meant to do. So, But the problem is, of course, is, is that people are thinking that if I got the vaccine, I can do whatever I want. And that's not going to get us out of this pandemic. We still have to mask up. We still have to social distance. And if we don't, uh, stop going out over the next couple of weeks. We're going to completely overwhelm our health care systems. And that means that people won't get the kind of care that they need for the car accidents, the heart problems, the cancer problems, because we're stretched thin. I can hear the frustration and the, uh, the this is almost sounding worn down. Uh, in, in your your voice, and, and I hear it from a lot of people and friends that I know that are in, in the business that you're in in one fashion or another, caregiving. Um, the talk of uh, delaying spring semester at NKU, UC coming back in person delayed, and then maybe some relo uh, remote learning depending. Some school districts for elementary, high school, you know, public schools, et cetera, uh, have plans in place and are trying right now to sort of navigate this and, and are, are doing their best not to get back to the distance or virtual learning scenario in the midst of this wave and what you're seeing and uh, th this idea that some people has uh, that you just mentioned, thinking that it's over and it's not anything you need to worry about now. Do these plans of delayed going back to school or work and doing it virtually look into maybe helping the situation that you're dealing with and the overcrowding and oh, such yeah. an influx? Yeah, yeah. because uh, if people get together with the speed in which the Omicron variant passes from person to person, we're only see more and more cases. And, you know, if we see thousands and thousands of people sick, there's more of them who are going to come to the hospital. And so delaying a couple of weeks, the in-person things, as much as it sounds bad, uh, for just a few weeks might give us the breathing room that we need to be able to provide the care to the people that are here now and be able to uh, catch up a little bit. Right now with the short staffing, with staff being sick, 
with not enough hospital beds, it's really putting a lot of pressure on our healthcare systems. So if if schools can delay a little bit and do a little bit of distance learning, I think our kids are going to survive that. It, it'll be a little bit disappointing in some ways, but I think it's going to make a huge difference for our healthcare system. And so I, I think that's what we really should be doing for the next few weeks. I think people should be avoiding going out very much. I think everybody should be wearing a mask, washing their hands. We can't be going to the restaurants, concerts, doing everything we want to do over the next couple of weeks. Or, it, you know, it's going to be really, really bad for all of the uh, folks who are sick with COVID. Talking to Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum from University of Cincinnati, infectious disease specialist, UC Health. Sterling on the big one. How close are you or is the system of healthcare in our region to the breaking point with this? Oh, I think we're right there. I think we're right there because, you know, we have staff that are sick, staff caring for sick children, family members, so we don't have enough uh, staff in all of the situations that we need. We don't have enough beds. We don't have enough, uh, you know, of the medications that we need to try and treat people. There are shortages of that. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're just trying to hang on the best we can. Uh, and I, it's hard for the public to see that because they don't get a bird's eye view. Uh, but that's really the situation we're in. It's really tough. We've talked about this so many times, um, and we tried to get it in every possible angle we can get. It is the situation has evolved over time, but it seems like it hasn't actually changed in some ways all that much. Uh, I know therapeutics have improved. Your ability to deal with the issues of uh, uh, limited uh, access to maybe ventilators and those things in the very early stages of this has been overcome, but you're still talking about shortages and being stressed at this point. Um, doing all these uh, mitigation things, the masking, the, the basic hygiene issues, washing hands, trying to avoid those groups and so forth, and maybe distance learning and working from home and, and whatnot. Uh, anything else that you can lend to this? I, I don't want to feel like it's a broken record, but clearly we're in the middle of this nastiness, and the broken record is the life that we're all living and people are still dying. Yeah, I mean, people need to get vaccinated because this, we're not done with this. And so... We really need people who've never been vaccinated to step up and get vaccinated because that's what we need for the rest of the community. If they, you know, value their healthcare providers, if they value their nurses, their respiratory therapists, pharmacists, physicians, and all of the people who provide support services in our community, these are our friends, neighbors. If you value these people and you want them to make it through this by providing care to the sickest of the sick, then do your part, get vaccinated, because that's going to protect you from having to come see us because, you know, 90% of the people I'm taking care of in the hospital here are unvaccinated. And so that's what we're seeing with this uh, Omicron wave. It's the unvaccinated. And so it's, it's, it's harmful. So I think people need to do that as well as all of the other mitigation measures. Um, so that we can try and protect ourselves. That's what we really need to do, Sterling. Well, I appreciate your time. I, I can hear the, the weight of this and, and the fatigue in your voice and frustration. I, I think we're all dealing with it, but you, you're on the front line of it. And, and I, I wish you and, and those that you work with uh, the best through this, and hopefully people are, are getting this message. 
Uh, I know a lot of people don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it either, but, I mean, facts are facts, and and the situation is what it is, and that's why we look to you as an infectious disease specialist and expert at UC Health. And I also want to leave your... uh, on a positive note, saying go Bengals, and uh, I'm glad we won it. <laughs> yes. And uh, we're still rooting for them, and I hope your listeners are safe out there. And please uh, stay safe and get vaccinated. And you can hear it in my voice because I'm still in the hospital tonight taking care of people. So be safe, Sterling, and I'll talk with you soon. That's Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum, infectious diseases specialist, University of Cincinnati, UC Health. Uh, good insight, perspective, and uh, frankly, unnerving. You heard the beeps in the front of the conversations because he's still uh, there during our talk uh, in dealing with patients in critical care situations. So just be safe wherever you are and do what you got to do. And I'm going to go wash my hands. It's Sterling, 700 WLW. McConnell here to tell you about a technological shocker. You can also listen to me in the morning on your smart speaker. And I say to myself, what a wonderful world. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Every small business owner's most important New Year's resolution is to attract more customers. Let a radio ad from iHeart Ad Builder reach the customers that will make 2022 a successful year. iHeartAdBuilder.com is the fast, affordable way to create a customized ad for your business. Just answer a few questions and get your commercial on the air. Start 2022 off right and put the power of radio to work for your business at iHeartAdBuilder.com. Portions of the following program were pre-recorded. You are listening to 700 WLW, also available on 94.5 FM W233BG Cincinnati. Snows in the forecast a couple days away. Thursday, the expectation accumulating snow. Night first warning forecast. Cloudy tonight, 36, 43 for your Wednesday. Maybe a little bit of sunshine. A 41 right now, your severe weather station, 700 WLW. Glad you're here. Sterling for Gary Jeff Walker, about eight minutes away from your midnight report. Sean Gallagher will have that. Then America's Truck and Network rolls with my man Bubba Bo. Let you know what's going on. In the shortage, we were talking about the great resignation. The trucking industry has had uh, a real problem in the midst of all the logistic issues and uh, getting stuff from uh, ports to trucks to trains and everything else and uh, everything else that's going on in this uh, whole supply chain deal. Uh, they are, like, I think I'm pretty sure what was the number, like 80,000 truckers short or something? It's unbelievable. You can make some good money. The biggest uh, holdup to it for most people, uh, and I was looking at a trucking uh, magazine stuff and some other things here, uh, is the fact that, you know, most people don't want to have to be away from home. And it's kind of hard necessarily to have yourself just a, a daily, you know, truck thing and, and when there's so much stuff that has to go further. But they'll bend over backwards. You can make some good dough. They say money's the easiest thing to get. It, it's just the the other side of maybe fitting that schedule to work what you want and what you need. But uh, Bubba Bo will be up uh, talking about everything trucking after uh, the midnight report. So hang out for that. Uh, something else. I, You know, we have the Port of Cincinnati. And I don't just mean at CVG, but uh, elsewhere, even all along the river, they, they you know they got stuff that comes up uh, from the Mississippi or whatever in, in transit, and uh, they often you'll be about three or four times a year there'll be a story about, like I think it was uh, in the last year they had these little turtles that were all taped up, and, and I have a pet turtle, I have a box turtle I found in the woods when I was a little sterling. Um, <laughs> doing some mushroom hunting with family years ago and i was like i can keep i will feed her and it will live for i will take care of her whatever is necessary and they're like it won't live through the weekend it won't live the weekend sterling and i'm like no i, I will love her and i will take care of her or, actually i thought it was a dude I, and i named him fred and then she laid eggs which boy turtles don't do and my dog ate the eggs uh because 
they were there. And, and then I was like, oh, I'll leave her name Fred, short for Frederica, because I was afraid with the eight-year-old Sterling mind that she just might find herself with an identity crisis. You want to talk about something special there. I rode the little bus to school. Um, but you hear these stories about animals being smuggled in. I should never have taken her from the woods. No one should be shipping animals that way. This is some crazy, disturbing stuff. Um, you, you got a, a situation where smugglers in the McAllen, Texas area, and I have a friend down there actually, doesn't work in customs, but Customs and Border Protection uh, said just leading up to the new year on December 30th, coming across the Progresso and International Bridge, they found someone who had tried to smuggle what they describe as, and this is ridiculous, a barrel of monkeys. I remember as a kid, there was a game called A Barrel of Monkeys. They were little teeny plastic monkeys. My cousins had them. I never had them. And, and I was like, what the hell does that mean, Barrel of Monkeys? I thought it was just a marketing plan to sell some cheap plastic toys made somewhere else to us little kids in, in the States. But apparently, they will ship bootleg, underground, smuggled monkeys in a damn barrel. I had no idea. Uh, it, it's insane. They say four spider monkeys not declared a female 20 year old driver as she was trying to make her way across the bridge. I, I, I don't know what you do. I don't know if people are trying to eat the monkeys. Uh, I don't know if it's like a Peter Gabriel thing, like a shock the monkey thing. Is that an obscure reference? Uh, I, I don't know what you do with them. And I don't know why you need a pet, a pet monkey anyway. And, and I don't mean to ruin the monkey business. I had a, a neighbor when I was a kid named Todd. My cousins and I, my friends and I, would go over to Todd's house. Todd's house uh, had a, a monkey in a cage. And the monkey in the cage at Todd's house was unhappy. The monkey, I was a little sterling, I didn't know. The, the, my friends, we all come over there, hey, look at the monkey. And it was like, we go to Todd's house. It was the only reason you wanted to hang out with Todd. It, but it stunk in there because it was a bunch of monkey poo and monkey pee. No one ever cleaned up, hardly. And the monkey does did exactly what they do at the zoo now if you show up in the middle of summer, the Cincinnati Zoo, in, in Monkey World or whatever they call it. it. It's one of the most awesome things ever. I like to get some dipping Dots or maybe a beer because you can get a beer at the zoo, right? And, and you can sit at a distance and maybe in the shade, and you see all these people that are tourists who have never necessarily been to the zoo, and they don't really know how the monkeys roll. And the monkeys do what my buddy Todd's monkey did, which is fling their crap at people because it's fun and entertaining. It is one of the little joys in my life to do that. It's worth the membership to the zoo, aside from the fact that there's everything else wonderful that goes along with it. Uh, but it's, you don't need to be smuggling monkeys. No one really needs a monkey. I mean, if you rescue a monkey, that's one thing, but I don't know what the hell you do with a monkey. And this is coming from a guy who has a turtle, and she will likely outlive me. It's, it's unbelievable, which then leads me to something else. Um, and I, I'm not going to be apologizing for this, but I realize I mentioned it a couple of days ago, and I've gotten some hate, and I say tough crap. Uh, here's the deal. Story, I think it was Naples, Florida, the zoo. There, there was a guy who was contracted to do some work at the zoo cleaning or whatever who decided after hours he'd get into an, an area near the enclosed uh, spot where the Mal- very rare Malayan tigers were, one particular tiger. So he goes over and he goes, I guess, here, kid, 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 or something. He reached in. You ever reach in to like under a door where a cat's on the other side and run your hands along the bottom of the door and see what happens? The cat goes, oh, holy crap, let me get that finger. Let me get that hand. Let me get a bite on that. Now imagine a super-sized, full-size Malayan tiger. By the way, there's less than like 200 apparently on planet Earth. 
So he's, uh, I, I should have gotten the audio. That's my failing to produce uh, and plan the show in advance. Uh, and Steinman's like, dude, I got like two minutes. I got no time. The sound of that guy, help me, somebody help me. Because the lion had his paw or his hand, the guy's paw, the guy's hand in the tiger's mouth. Law enforcement came over and they're like, uh, tiger, let go. And the tiger's like, oh, hell no. This is good times. And then they they, uh, they shot and killed the, the damn tiger. Now, I'm going to say this as clearly and concisely as I can. We have an overabundance of idiots and morons, not just in the United States, on planet Earth. And sometimes a thinning of the herd presents itself like that. Look, I, didn't want, I don't want that guy to die. I sure as hell don't want one of only about 200 tigers to die either, right? But do a warning shot. Maybe the tiger would freak out and run off. And, you know, get a belt. You know, tie it off on his arm if you can, so it's like a tourniquet. Let the tiger have the guy's hand. I'm sorry he lost his hand. There's a cost and price to pay for being an idiot and a moron sometimes. And, you know, the consideration at this point is charging him with trespassing and everything else. I mean, at some point, you only got a couple of lions. You got a whole lot of millions of idiots and morons. I think you make.